actually, I think I will start with that. Oh my God, we have a lot to talk about this week. It's the mother load. It's kind of like that Sims cheat code uh, where you get, get a lot of money, just put up the console. Mother load. That's the news yeah. this week. I wasn't sure if I should use like truck load or boat load or whatever idiom. <laughs> mother load. Container load you have. There is a whole it's bunch the, of news to talk about. Uh, it's the dumpster struck of news. This is the Tetracast. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Vitelli. Joining me today are George Foster. Hello, everyone. We've got Adam Vitelli. Hey, guys. we got James Galizio. Hello. And we have uh, roped back Josh Torres. Hey, it's been a while. How's everyone? He is here to help us sort through a monster list of stuff that was announced over the last week. Yeah, yeah, everyone, just, everyone decided it's like, this is the news week, right? Yeah, this is the news week. Yeah, we're definitely dumping everything this week. It's like, wait, okay. Yeah, sure. Like, we kind of knew going in that we'd have Xbox stuff. But then, uh, like, in the midnight hour, literally for some of us before Monday, Nintendo's like, we're going to have a microdirect. We're like, oh, that's not, that probably won't be anything too big. They stipulated that it was just going to be third-party partners of games that were Oops, already announced. RPGs. <laughs> it's, 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 sorry, sorry, Brian. It's, it's a, a direct mini. It's like a mini USB and micro USB. It's two different things. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh and we were like, well, with the stipulations they put, the best case scenario is Shin Megami Tensei five. But what are the it's chances like, no. of that, really? And then they're like, uh, yeah, it is. And just just for good menu, uh, measure, we're going to also throw in this remake or remaster of Nocturne, even though we said it was not going to be announced a new games, which I guess they're technically correct. Uh, <laughs> and then they announced they had the uh, code tech. Well, we'll get into it. Well, yeah, they the, the we had two different versions of the directors we typically do, and then both had several, you know, relevant things for our yeah. site. Hmm. So obviously, well, we will get into everything that was announced in the Nintendo Direct and the Xbox thing, and a whole bunch of surprises that were uh, in between the two, or even after the two. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the games we've been playing, uh, just to wrap up on some of the discussions that we had last week. But then we'll then after that we'll dive right into everything from the last seven days. Uh, I guess we'll just start with uh, okay. We have a James, a Josh, and a George here. I'm gonna screw up. I'm gonna switch at least two of those at some point in this. So I apologize for that ahead of time. Uh, Josh, uh, you since Hi. since it's been a while since okay. we had you on, uh, maybe pick one game that you've played. In the last several okay. months, yeah, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't really get into everything I've been playing. Uh, I, I've touched, you know, uh, Yoko Taro's Sinnoh Alice mobile game, and that's a thing. I've been, I thought I've been playing a little bit of Ghost of Shima. Uh, I want to get back into it. I'm only a few hours into it. That's uh, I'll probably speak about it with Georgian a little bit when he gets into that. And um, the, the main game I've been playing because I've been working from home, I don't have a lot of time to play games i've been playing this new the, the new tales of game everyone's favorite tales of uh rpg series i tales heard that, that was delayed oh that one <laughs> <laughs> yes tales over wait chris story the the one that everyone wanted the one for ios and android um this is uh an interesting one as people may or may not remember uh in the past, there was Tales of the Rays and a, ta- and a Tales of Link, I think, that came over uh, overseas, uh, got an English release, but they were both uh, out of sync with the Japanese uh, release by a few years. 
So they didn't perform well, whether it was like just being out of sync and mismanagement uh, on their end. Those both got shut down unceremoniously. Um, so this is the third Tales of Mobile game to come out uh, in worldwide. This time there's a worldwide simultaneous release, but it doesn't share the same server as the Japanese server. So it's still the old global version has its own uh, release. Um, it's it's a what makes it interesting is the first turn-based uh, Tales of game. So there's your typical uh, waves of enemies battle, but you pick all the commands you want to do, uh, and then as you pick a command, a uh, character will go. Uh, and the the whole crux of this turn-based battle system is um, the higher combo counts you have, the the more damage you'll do. So you want to try to strategize because you'll always attack from left to right on your character order. You want to get like your your uh, combo people first. Like for me, I have uh, Leon. And, yeah, I was um, just gonna say this is a crossover game, right? In terms yeah, this is a crossover game. It's like right. Radiant Mythology or whatever. Yes, it's kind of like that. Uh, like I have Leon and Sori from uh, Leon was was Tales of Destiny, I think. Yeah, one of those, I, like the real Tales of Destiny or the fake Tales he, of Destiny. No, the, no, Eter- Eternia. Yeah, Eternia was the quote unquote fake one. But he was. It's he's in one of the Tales of Destinies and Sori from Tales of Historia. They're like my combo people. They. Pra- Rack up the uh, the combo counter and then Cress um, from Tales of I've already forgot Tempest Fantasia. Thank you. Uh, he's my big big hitters to do that. So that that's kind of a cool game. What makes it really special is like the the story and characters, like original characters, and they're surprisingly like good. Like the it's it's kind of still along those lines of Versaria, Ver- where like kind of it takes a more like darker, edgier. Uh, tone uh it's definitely revolving around themes of like uh guilt and uh and criminals and like you know can criminals like uh still be, yeah exactly still be happy with knowing that you know that they've done uh, committed this crime and whatnot so you have this whole uh thing where the main character kanata uh does a really really bad thing in the beginning but it was in order to save uh, his friend uh misella and then um, a third character, Vicious, kind of like is kind of like the arbiter or, or the, the catalyst of everything. Like, hey, it's basically uh, your your guilt and your sin. Are you gonna let it? Are you gonna own your sin, or are you gonna let it own you? And kinda, all that kind of jazz. And then he, he gives power to that kind of like their will to live the, despite um, their crime. And then they kind of go off from there. It's a, it's a really cool story. I really like it uh, so far. It's I won't get too much into it because we have a lot of news. But uh, I'm surprised with this. I think the thing that um, worries me, of, of course, besides this being a gotcha mobile game, um, is just the mismanagement again on the right. global side. And you've got like, that precedent of these shutting yeah. down a year into their launch. Yeah, and, and, and even then, they already have like uh, severe differences with the Japanese server and the global release from the get-go. Like The Japanese server had this... Um, well, usually in gotcha games, sometimes they'll have like these... Uh, banners that you can uh, use paid currency on, but if you use your paid currency on this banner, you'll get a uh, at least one guaranteed like SSR character and whatnot. And for a lot of mobile games, it's like a big deal for them. But that was released with the Japanese version, and on the global release, then like the social media account for this game is a mess because like they mistakenly tweeted that out, so it's not actually happening because they deleted it. And then they're really oh. they're, they're really miscommunicating on that end, and it really bothers me. Um, other than that, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, it's a crossover game. What's really cool about this game, 
too is like in the story the characters from all the tales games just kind of live in this world they're not like transported to it like not like an isekai or uh, another world story like over they all like kind of land up in this foreign land think about like oh where are we at it's like no they're actually just living it like uh, early on you have um oh what's her name you have velvet and um the, the main heroine from tales of zillia one i forgot her name already i never played zillia yeah mila, mila yeah they're, they're just traveling around together trying to like uh like solve like what happened with the velvet's arm but mila's involved in that and they're like there's characters that like exist in that world already or you have um like asbel from uh graces and, and um jade from vesperia not vesperia um abyss like uh uh as like luke's assistants uh and they kind of recreate like kind of like the turning point of luke's character arc uh from abyss inside this game in, in its own cool twist uh uh way so it's kind of it's kind of interesting that it's like picking up like turning points from several tales games and uh, and then like kind of integrating that into that world into that world into that story and contextualizing it that way so i think uh they have something really good with the writing side i'm kind of concerned about like all the other things underneath it now this might be a really dumb question but is this okay. game voice acted in either language yes it's voice acted in the uh, japanese but because of the covid pandemic um there'll be some delays on like some characters getting voices okay. like the summer characters that just hit it don't have voices and uh the i'm trying to think of the new event uh starring raid and farah from eternia are voiced but there are definitely some delays on the on the voices for upcoming things but like the the current main story right now is fully voice acted it's just getting that many good. um voice actors or seiyus together is just especially in this year of any year yeah I mean, we've we like when when you know spoiler for something mm -hmm. coming up, but when when Yakuza games now come in, you know, dual voice track, it's not a gimme anymore to say, well, of course it's not English voice acted or, or whatever. So, yeah, I think I think uh, people are starting to realize that you know the importance of English voice acting. The best, like, there is definitely a subset of people, uh, that, probably a significant amount of people, that like just want it in English because it's the, there are definitely crowds of people that like. They don't. They have trouble reading subtitles uh, as like scenes are going. Um, like it's hard for them to focus on the actual scene itself when there's like text at the bottom that they have to read to like know what's going on. And I, I can understand like why you know publishers and developers like feel the need to like oh we have to start thinking about this for an international audience and making sure that like we get at least future proof what we're developing right now just in case it gets an English release. Uh, and for like I, I think so for for some people the 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 game or the show or whatever it is doesn't exist if it doesn't have their language. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, yeah, I can understand that. I wasn't yeah. ex I, that, you you gave the answer I was expecting, mm -hmm. but I mean it's still that's still a feat to have, you know, any any crossover getting all the voice actors back. Yeah, well, and I think, e I think this even is a really, plurality of them. I think this is really like cool for like cool for a mobile game is a weird phrase to like say but there's a lot of like there, there's a lot of mobile games that like have you as like a self-insert protagonist and like oh like you're you're this person you pick the male or female variant and like yeah, they're kind of like a silent protagonist and like that that kind of totally changes up like the, the story flow of a game because it's, you kind of feel like you're kind of being like kind of just like play as babysitted almost representation yeah representation of yourself yeah and it, it doesn't really 
always drive well with me. While in Crystoria, you have like set characters with set personalities, like uh, Kanata and Misela. You know, they're both like they're, there's no there's no like oh choose this character's name or whatever. It's like no, these are real characters that like actually have like backstory and history and whatnot. They're not like a blank slate, which is cool. Well, but that's uh, that's for, yeah. story. Yeah. I this I was interested in this one because of its turn based. Uh, I don't know if I'll play it, but I it's something that I kind of like. It's cool to hear about it and experience it vicariously by hearing you describe it and how what it does well and what maybe doesn't do so well and things like that. Yeah, yeah. There's still a lot to it, but you know, in the interest of time, I'll, I'll kind of just not not mention that right now. But I, I'll I'll keep up with it. It's interesting right now uh, for me. Who knows where's the turning point? But I I like it a lot right now. I think. Just in terms of like systems wise, it's interesting. Story wise, interesting. Just management wise, that's the thing. That's like everything could be cool, but if the management is not there, it's just like I don't know, man. Yeah. So uh, James, you've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter, which is for sure an RPG that we talk <laughs> about here often enough. Um. Yeah, before I talk about that, I kind of want to just give some last uh, impressions about uh, Aria Sorrow. So last All week, right. obviously, I talked about a bunch of Castlevania games I'd been playing through because um, essentially after we uh, recorded the uh, casual mode episode for Deedlet and Wonder Labyrinth, I kind of was still in a Metroidvania mood. Uh, so I talked about um, Symphony of the Night and the first two uh, Game Boy Advance Castlevania games last week and briefly touched on my first impressions for Aria of Sorrow. Um, so I finished Aria of Sorrow earlier this week. And I think out of all the Castlevanias, at least the Metroidvania Castlevanias that I've played, Aria of Sorrow is probably the best, even better than uh, Symphony of the Night. Like the only issue I really had with it was that maybe it was a little short because it didn't it like the other two Game Boy Advance ones took me I'd say like seven eight hours Symphony of the Night took me like nine I want to say that um, Aria of Sorrow only took me like five. Yeah, I was going to uh, say like short for a Castlevania game is going to be pretty short because those games typically aren't that lengthy. Yeah, yeah. This um, is uh, the one with Soma, right? Yeah, the first okay. one was Soma, yeah. at least, because there's also the DS sequel, which I'm going to get to, just mm-hmm. not immediately. Yeah, this um, was a cool game. I remember this. Yeah, so just to briefly kind of uh, refresh your memories for like what my um, impressions were for the rest of the Game Boy Advance games, I felt like Circle of the Moon was good, but it had some issues with pacing at the very end, where it really kind of asked you to grind out enemies, and it felt like a little slow-paced at times. And I said that the uh, map and lack of teleportation and poor level design and Harmony of Dissonance kind of held it back, even though the gameplay itself was good. Well, I'd say that even though Aria Sorrow is the shortest, the pacing itself is by far the best of the Game Boy Advance games, and even better than um, Symphony of the Night. Because like I said last week, I feel like people kind of hype up the Inverted Castle, but it doesn't necessarily really add too much to the game. And it's not like it feels like it was designed with the inversion from the get-go. Um, the level design in Aria Star was really good. It's actually incredibly impressive just how interesting the areas look themselves, how good the uh, pixel art is for a Game Boy Advance game while still retaining a fantastic soundtrack. 
unlike uh, Harmony of Dissonance, which was pretty much I'm like 99% sure that game just used the uh, Game Boy Color sound chip built into the GBA. Um, the gameplay itself is very interesting because you have the soul system, which um, pretty much every one of the Game Boy Advance Castlevanias had a unique system that allowed you to really spice things up with the combat. Though, um, kind of following up on Harmony of Dissonance, like, I remember mentioning last week that I felt like the sub-weapon system was basically useless in uh, Harmony of Dissonance because you basically always use um, spells that were attached to each of the uh, sub-weapons, so you were never actually using the sub-weapon hearts. Like, throughout the game, I don't think I used it once because, like, once you got a spell, but there was no reason to use, like, the regular sub-weapons because MP, like, recharges plenty fast on its own and the uh, right i remember you talking about this last week yeah so kind of following up on that they just got rid of sub weapons entirely in Ari of sorrows so it's always just that you have the different abilities that you can utilize using the soul system which i think makes sense because with harmony of dissonance it kind of already showed yeah you don't need sub weapons to have that sort of variety in the uh, gameplay so they just figured, okay, let's just double down on souls, and it works out. Um, the bosses are really inventive, which is another thing that's nice. Like, even, like, returning bosses from the other two games, like uh, Legion, which is literally just a giant flying meatball of of corpses, like, smushed together is a oh, lot more interesting. I remember, than, I remember that from uh, Symphony of the Night. Yeah. And it's actually impressive because, like, legion itself like some of the bosses have kind of like a cinematic aspect to them not like obviously like cinema but in the sense that like legion there's like a build-up to him because like once you get to the crypt you'll know like you'll notice some like corpses just start walking towards a direction you can't really attack them and you're wondering where are they heading to and as you get closer and closer to it you realize oh they're heading to the boss door so you enter into the boss room you literally see like the last bit of corpses like jump into Legion and it as it brings itself together and it's like, wow, that's cool. The game didn't need storytelling. This. Yeah, it's like the game didn't need this, but it's cool that they went through the effort of doing this. And yeah, I I really loved Aria Sorrow. So Yeah, so it's a good game. Damn good game. Yeah. I also like the that um you can uh, I think it's after you complete the game once. I think you can uh, play uh, Julius the, mode, uh, yeah. yeah, Julius. Yeah. Pretty cool, and I, I think if you really want to challenge yourself, I think you could. There's a there's a way you can play the game without without you using souls or items. I think it's like, yeah, that's Julius mode because he has sub weapons. Okay, yeah, that's right. But no, but also like if you change the player's name, I think you have to like no soul or no use. Uh, there's like trying mm -hmm. to dig up ancient memory here, but that's how you unlike play the game with restricting yourself without using them. Yeah. Anyways, don't want to talk about too much uh, Castlevania because I kind of just, I think it was like, what, half an hour last week or something crazy like that? Well, you were um, going through like two or three games, so. Yeah. I, I feel um, them, though. Castlevania's damn good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Monster Hunter. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't think I've really mentioned it too much, but... Uh, finally caught up to the end game or at least guiding lands and iceborne on pc so i've kind of just once i got to that point and considering i've finished like i've cleared the 52 games a year challenge i had going for myself this year it's like okay 
time for me to get caught up on the PC version so I can finally just abandon my PS4 save. So I've been uh, playing a ton of Monster Hunter this week, as uh, as I'm sure uh, Brian's noticed. Uh, yeah. Congrats on uh, almost getting 700 hours logged, by the way. Oh, man. That's how far you are now, huh? Uh, yeah. Well, um, uh, I, uh, at some point, I had... So Monster Hunter PC save is like all one file. And before Iceborne, it was like not well managed. Like there was no backup. It didn't it didn't do Steam Cloud, I think. Or if it did, it did it it didn't it was buggy. I think now there's actually like a backup like system in the directory, so it's harder to lose your save. But yeah, I lost a save. That was like two oh. hours in. So Rip. mine's a little bit inflated. But yeah, I also played a little bit of Monster Hunter this week because obviously Elatrion came out a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago, something like that. And we talked about yeah. that. But then this last week, they just threw it's a festival, which the festival itself is not too remarkable. It's, the, it's kind of the usual flair where now it's kind of like a Caribbean Islander Pacifica theme sort of thing. Got um, a whole like carnival type thing to it, I'd say. Yeah, that's true, too. Kind of like Mardi Gras or whatever. It, um, it's funny, though, because it's like you look at the changes that they made to the Gathering Hub in Selyana this time. And if you actually really like look at it, the biggest changes they made to it this time was just the lighting being like different colors. The actual changes to the assets in there aren't nearly as big of a difference compared to like say the alien themed one or the Lunar New Year one. It's kind of interesting. Still, how... the, the fact that they have a whole team making new assets to yeah. these you know seasonal events pretty deep into the game's life well i guess iceborne on pc specifically has only been around like a half year which it seems like a lot longer yeah. but uh, i mean we've still got a few more months of content left at least and we don't know what's going to happen after that because they haven't explicitly said that that um the mo new monster coming in fall is going to be the last one so wait, wait did iceborne for pc launch this year it, it was launched january. in january oh god all <laughs> oh, right this I'm remembering because I I remember during the new year, I was like, all right, I'm going to go complete base monster hunter to be ready for Iceborne. That's what it's all coming back to me. And I remember before I went on vacation to Chicago, I got to the guiding lands that I never touched it again. That's right. You should come back and play more of it. I mean, the good thing about Iceborne is that the end game actually feels like an end game instead of just RNG bullshit, trying to get stream stones. <laughs> There's a reason I didn't really play base game Monster Hunter after I saw the credits roll, because there was like no reason to. But Iceborne actually has a pretty solid endgame loop. You don't oh, like fighting so cold Teroth over and over and over and over and over? <laughs> of course, that's a problem now again, too, because Master Rank cold Teroth. And it's like, oh, hunt him a bunch in, in high rank and then just hunt him a bit in Master Rank to upgrade your RNG weapon drops. Yeah. But anyways, I don't want to talk, talk too long about like this game. Like you're either invested in the Monster Hunter or you're not, but uh, yeah. I was playing through just some of the um the new event quests, and they they always do like really cheeky stuff. Like here's a giant Tigrex, or here's a tiny um whatever the whatever the poison dude is, you know, Yon yeah. Garuda. Yeah, I I love how the Tigrex event quest you get these dual blades that are literally just you hold three like graphs of like ale in each hand and you use them as dual blades and the and the foam on each of the uh graphs is actually um animated got jiggle physics 
then they've done silly stuff like that with the um like the like the festival blades or or whatever it was yeah but yeah i put some time into that too and it was fun and now i'm kind of waiting for that um that ice barioth which i don't think he'll be too much of a like he's not he's not picked up as a big end game thing like latrion was well, if you're pl- you're playing on PC, he's already in the files, and you can just unlock the event quest ID if you want to play it. Try him out early. Uh, I'm not that into it. <laughs> he says with 700 hours on Steam. Hey, I, I gave you a reason for that. Think think about it, Brian. You could use those 700 hours to get good at Dota too, like almost decent at Dota. Two. Yeah, I could have played like five other games. <laughs> Here's a way to put it, Brian. You could. Grind Frostbane Berry off for a bit so you can get a really nice high elemental ice longsword to grind Fire Latrion. For his bow or whatever. Yeah. Oh, uh, you're, you're no? so you're so you're playing bow now, huh? I thought last no. time you're sticking oh, no. to longsword. I, I am sticking to longsword, but like I, I like the idea of like getting the best other weapons so I have them. So like I could play this whenever I wanted to. I could start learning this, but nah. But I've just heard that his bow is like really good. All of his weapons are really good. Um, I will say that I, since I knew I was eventually going to switch to PC for Iceborne, I didn't really play some of the additional monsters that were added after Rajang. Furious Rajang and Raging Burkidios are terrifying. Raging Burkidios's final stand is, honest to God, just actual terror. Yeah, so um, for anyone who doesn't play Monster Hunter and is still like willing to sit through us blab about it, uh, at the end of the uh, Raging Bur- or Raging Burkidios, Burkidios, whatever he is, he like locks off the arena, so basically you can't run away, you can't you can't leave unless maybe you have a farcaster. No, farcasters get disabled. Oh, I was gonna say like maybe do they actually go that far? I've never tried, and he just starts like covering the room and explosive like lava shit and just like you're stuck in here with me you know one only one of us is leaving and some people have actually kind of not liked it because it's very gimmicky like it kind of breaks the rules like no other monster in the game really says you're stuck in this arena normally it's you have the whole map at play and you can leave whenever you want and then the monster might go out and try to heal or chase you or all that stuff but this one it says nope you can't do that anymore so some people have actually kind of criticized that, that it was gimmicky, but I think it was enough. It was enough to keep it interesting without like compromising the game. I don't know. It was, I, it, was, it, was it was it was enough to make it like a spectacle and memorable. Yeah, he's really fun, and it's actually really nice. Like that after like the um, volcanic region and the tundra region were added to the guiding lands. Now I'm pretty sure literally every monster, except for the siege hunts, like obviously Latrion and Safi and that sort of stuff is huntable in the guiding lands, which is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, definitely not going to be the <laughs> last, uh, that I play of monster hunter. Cause, um, one of my friends that I played through, uh, base game Monster Hunter on PS4 said he was never going to switch to PC. And then when he uh, went off to boot camp, he gave his old PS4 to his brothers and he was game sharing with another friend of his. And because of that, his save data for Monster Hunter wasn't synced up with the cloud. 
and his brothers deleted his profile oh. from the PS4, so he lost the save data. <laughs> well, that, that man. But he wants uh, to play Monster Hunter again. I, so can, he, I, I can I can literally say I've been there, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's um he's waiting until he gets back to the states in like a week or two before he really goes full like full at it for Iceborne because he I helped get him through uh like Zenojiba. So we're just waiting for him to get back to the States and then pretty much everyone in my like real life friend group is finally going to like go super deep on Iceborne. So yeah, definitely like there's a distinct chance that by this time uh next month uh I'll have like between PS4 and PC uh, over a thousand hours logged in Monster Hunter World. <laughs> That's crazy. But I've been there. With other games yeah. and 700 like i'll probably be there like before the before everything's all wrapped up anyway oh definitely yeah and so the other game that i've been playing is just um obviously i talked about it a little bit last week and i just wrapped it up this week is the paper mario the origami king and this is gonna sound like a very like bland basic take but like it's just a well-made game that doesn't do anything spectacular but i think i'm 100 fine with that like if I ask like what what is special about the Origami King, I would say that it has like a banging soundtrack. But other than that, I don't know if I could really name much. Um, now I haven't played Sticker Star or Color Splash, so maybe this is where Adam will jump in. So like I don't really have like a precedent on how it's similar or different from the current you know ethos of what Paper Mario is. So the last I played was thousand year door no sorry i did play super paper mario but that was you know over a decade ago so like i'm kind of like pretty far removed from any of that it's got you know it's it's super inventive in terms of the locales that you visit and the sort of like stages that it puts you on like both you know literally in the game and just you know figuratively it's there's a very obvious and this isn't a spoiler because it's they wears it on its sleeve it does this very obvious like wind waker kind of homage homage however you say that um in one of the later chapters where you're literally like doing the trial of power wisdom and courage and you're on a boat and you have like a sea chart and things like that and you know it's it was enough to make me like grin the whole time because obviously that's one of my one of my favorite zelda games despite you know its shortcomings so i don't know if you have any other like further thoughts because i know you also had finished it this week adam um so it avoids a lot of the biggest missteps from the previous two games i think they just sort of got the hint and like all right this system isn't working and we're just going to remove it entirely um and that's why bosses now in the game work so differently than what they have in the past they're almost just like individual puzzles and they all kind of have their own rules in terms of what your attacks do and how you're supposed to take them on and it still has like the same overall structure and flow. And there's still a little bit of an issue, I think, especially in the later half of the game, where I feel like the synergy between the adventure game style gameplay, where you're kind of exploring and doing these little events and finding certain items to do certain things to progress through the game. I feel like there's a bit of a mismatch between that and the battle gameplay. Eventually, like battles, like regular battles, they're not really worth doing if you can avoid them because all you get is money and you'll, and you'll, at that point the only thing you have to, you can spend money on is to stuff that you would wear away in battles your equipment so it, but there's not really point to, there's no there's no point it's to really right. doing it's battles like a, it's like a closed so, loop 
right? So um, the only in, in the later half of the game, the only reason really to do battles is if you, for whatever reason, were, were like low on confetti and you needed some to patch in those holes. But otherwise, it's, it's I, I there's still some synergy there. I think is miss, missing when it's an adventure game and not an RPG. But like you like you said, I agree. It's just kind of a well-made game. It doesn't really do anything spectacular. I have a feeling it won't really like stick with me for very long because I don't think it. I'm not sure if it really does much that is too interesting. It's kind of like a momentarily charming game. Like, okay, that was nice. That's it. <laughs> and speaking about confetti, uh, like the main thing that you get with each of these games, chapters, quote unquote, it doesn't explicitly call them that, is that it increases like your confetti bag size, which is like, I think kind of like the lamest chapter progression item that you could think of. Because I'm thinking back to like Thousand Year Door and how you get like the different star power or in the original game, it's star power. It's like star abilities. I forget what it is in Thousand Year Door, but you get like these cool things at the end of each chapter that you can bring forward where this is just like, now you can throw out more confetti before we force you to battle again. It's like, oh, that's that's the best you could come up with. Like I'd rather just have nothing almost. Um, I'm kind of interested to hear like your guys' thoughts of like, what would you like to see out of a, like a new Paper Mario like after this game? That, especially like Adam's kind of seen like the whole scope of like going from like... Uh, uh, sticker star and color splash and not origami king like what do you think is like the next like logical step they should take paper mario in so i will say first of all i wouldn't mind if they went back to the rpg style i i know some people like kind of get flack for saying that but i mean it has been 16 years so it's not like it's not like we've been you know we've been overburdened with all these RPG Paper Mario games and they're just making the same thing over and over. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They haven't, just, they haven't gone back to it uh, in a long time. I feel like if there was some way they could make like a Paper Mario game, I feel like my biggest issue, like I said, is with the battles. I feel like they're almost included in the game almost as out of obligation now. Mm-hmm. And it just, doesn't, it, doesn't, it just doesn't blend as well as I think it can. Do you think so this maybe, game? Sorry, do you think Origami King would have benefited more if it was more uh, tuned to like a three D platformer instead? I was actually yeah, thinking the same that, thing. I wonder. Yeah, if it yeah I was thinking if. Go ahead. Yeah, if there was some way they could change it so, like, rather than having a battle system, it's maybe more of just a pure adventure game. Um, in some way, platforming maybe more puzzly rather than battley because the battles are kind of like a ring puzzle Puzzles anyway now. Yeah. Um, and so like i just feel like the battle system is fine it's just more of a puzzle now but it's not really i i feel like it just doesn't the when it just doesn't really have a synergy with the rest of the game and it just kind of feels like two distinct parts of a, of the same game that don't bless that don't mesh very well so some some rearrangement there if you if you tell me that like you can't have the inventive characters of Thousand Year Door or Super Paper Mario if it has to be like more just vanilla Mushroom Kingdom. If like that's off the table, then I then I'm thinking like, well, I think I'd rather almost have like almost like a point and click, not obviously like a PC game, but I'd like to have like a lot more itemization where like you get like an item and you're not sure where who needs it or where to use it. And then you like you you end up holding onto it, and then you bring it 
like not in ter- almost kind of like the thing system, which I know might be like a warning, like why are you bringing this back? But more in terms of just like pure overworld puzzles, like oh, and beca- because that, I helped. That, go ahead. That's more like classic King's Quest adventure style. The Secret you know? of Doshi Island. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, but I was I just imagine like you're helping if again if you're stuck with like vanilla mushroom kingdom you're helping a bunch of koopas and they give you like a shell and you're like i'm not sure where i need this shell i'll hold on to it and then later someone needs like i don't know you come up with like a shy guy who needs armor for something that he's doing you're like hey i got this shell from a koopa you know 10 hours ago and then you bring it to him you know something like that where it's like pure adventure like stop doing this like weird half i don't want to say half-assed but like Going this, going this weird like mesh that doesn't mesh very well. Or, like when we have these battles, but they end up being pointless really quickly. And rather they just say like, "Here's a pure adventure game." I, I, so I guess Adam and I are kind of in in agreement. When you describing that like the like kind of trading in like uh, between the different NPCs, like I'm th- I'm like kind of crafting the story of like say what happens like the Mushroom Kingdom, like the the princess's castle. Like for some reason, uh, like uh, they lose their mortgage on it, and like it's like it's like you have to pay back, like you know, to get it back, to pay back a million, like coins. But you're you're left with like uh like a hairpin. You have to go on this adventure, to, like trade this hairpin and keep on trading different items of one another. Like I'll get your, I'll take your hairpin for like this toilet paper, and you have to get that toilet paper and trade it with another person. And somehow you keep on trading until you get a hundred billion yen or whatever. This, or this like giant like, multi-branch trading quest. Yeah. Yeah, there is actually a small trading quest sort of thing in the game. It's in the Shogun Studios area where like, like a some ninja guy needs a a straw, and then he gives you a shuriken, and you give the guy a shuriken, mm-hmm. and he gives you a um, what is it? Baseball. Baseball. Yeah, <laughs> and so on. Uh, and, but yeah, I, like I, I maybe I maybe I come across as a bit more negative than I actually am on this game. Like I do think things like the writing and some of the like some of the small storylines the the overall storyline of the game is just kind of basic and kind of like a children's cartoon sort of thing like oh okay you know i think there fine. there's like definitely a merit to this release it's kind of like in a similar energy that animal crossing does it's like it's kind of when you contextualize it in like the state of the world right now like there are definitely a bunch of people that kind of just want like uplifting positive simple games right and that's fine that's perfectly fine that's i do think everyone needs like a like a a stress relief kind of game i i do feel like there's a the the rating does have a lot of i don't know if wit's the right word but it just kind of it's just amusing to read um like for example i actually included this one in my review that is not yet posted uh where uh bowser jr comes into the scene and kamek who is like his kind of like caretaker is like i've never been so happy to see lord bowser's devilish spawn come flying recklessly out of nowhere in his clown car <laughs> and this stuff like that uh it's just, um, it's just snappy. amusing yeah right and it's not always like break the fourth wall we're made of paper huh? like they, they go a little bit further than that like that so, line specifically i think it's amusing because he just says so happy to see the devilish spawn <laughs> <laughs> just it's just amusing yeah, so it's a, it's a fun game. It's I think it it was the perfect time for it because summer has kind of been a bit of a lull uh, in terms of releases. So yeah, I think it was a good time for it. It was a nice surprise. I don't think it will stick with me like you said. I'm glad I played it. So George, you're the last one to go. And just like us, you're following up on something you introduced last week. You left us with kind of lukewarm thoughts on Ghost of Tsushima. Now, how a week later do you feel about it now? 
So, as I predicted last week, uh, I was I was on the cusp of like seeing what it was really offering. I've now completed the first act. I'm on act two, uh, and I, I mean I still wouldn't go as far as saying it's like the best thing Sucker Punch's ever done or the best PlayStation exclusive, or like anything near that. But I, I'm really enjoying it. Like it, it, the gameplay loop is now a lot more satisfying. I think I set my expectations. I've got my expectations in check now. Uh, I'm not expecting too much of it. I'm just kind of having fun. It, it's it kind of it's kind of fun to just go around the map and check things off the list. And the combat is opening up a lot more. Uh, I, I said, I think I said last week that I was quite satisfied with like the difficulty because it's uh, maybe I didn't. I don't think way. so. It's not ringing a bell. No, uh, I, I meant to though. I, I think I came away going, I should have mentioned that. But yeah, it's like surprisingly difficult. And before it launched, they, I, I remember Sucker Punch was saying a lot, like, "Yeah, like you guys aren't ready. It's going to be really difficult." And then previews were like, "Yeah, it's like it's not that difficult. Like, don't expect Dark Souls or anything." Um, and then when playing it, I, I'd sort of forgotten all about that discourse about like how difficult it was. And it just like really surprised me. Like I, I'm dying, like left, right, and center. Um, and it's really satisfying because like it's, it has its systems. Like I'm not, I'm dying because I'm forgetting to do stuff. I'm dying. Right. Because it's, I'm, like, they're not. They're not cheap dying. deaths. Yeah. They're 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 skill execution deaths. Deaths. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels good. Um, my biggest complaint last week was that I didn't really relate to. Jin or the story at all, and uh, you like also I said, said that week, it, it, like it, like it didn't have very good cast of side characters. Yeah, well, um, excuse me, that was a was a weird voice break. Uh, I was completely right that I needed to give it more time because literally that evening when I when I got off of the podcast, I was like, okay, I'll put I'll put a few more hours in. I've talked about it, so I'll go back and play it, and then um. Some more side characters came out, and they were all really great. And then there were some like twists and turns of the plot that made one of the side characters really, really interesting. And then seeing Jin go down like a certain path, which obviously like, the title and everything about it teases that he's going down. Right, that's kind of like baked into the premise, seemingly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- this is why I feel stupid. This is why last week I was so. Hedge, hedge in my bets because I knew that it was probably going to get more and more interesting as it went further away from what it was doing, and it has. I just, I just want to go, go back in time a week and be like, just shut up, just play oh. like a few more hours. Like uh, it's not like your first, it's not like your, it's not like your first impression is invalid. Like that's how you felt when you had only a couple hours into the game. So yeah, yeah, that's, the, that's the thing. It's like, it's like yeah, there, there are definitely like. 180 turns like as games progress like i like i'm still having like reach for a duvar right now and i'm still going through like the motions of that game but like i'm pretty slow with open world games in general and this one's like you know it's it's a very to me like right now kind of like a bare bones open world game. It's like it's just it's doing the thing that video games do these days and like it's fine like i, I do like the transitions from like going between like you know sneaking around to archery and then uh, like full frontal combat and whatnot and the the all that is fine. I think the the thing that like get, will probably keep me coming back at this point is just like I I, I still am impressed like with the real time like environmental lighting system in that game. Like oh, it's yeah. one of the it's definitely 
like one of one of the more gorgeous open world games to like just kind of like travel around in and see how like like days progress and how the weather progresses in that game and like it's yeah. it's really kind of great i also really like that um you know accessing photo mode in that game is just with the tap of like right on the d-pad so it's like you don't have to go through like two or three different menus down like okay here's the photo mode how do i want to frame it it's just more fluid and interactive it's 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 more like you can there, there are when moments happen it's just there at your disposal right away instead of like having to remember it's like oh okay if you really want to utilize that photo mode and also i i appreciate like like simple accessibility settings and that game like hey indicate when there's like archers that are about to like shoot at you from off screen it's like yeah i hate that shit please tell them let me know because i don't like getting shot from off screen with no indication you know yeah. i wish more more games had that so it's it's a uh, it's uh, i feel like that shouldn't almost be an accessibility setting it should just be like yeah. a baked in setting yeah <laughs> seriously uh, I think the the thing that really bugs me about this game, and it's the, and it's kind of starting to bleed over to next gen now, is like, like I don't know why they have like a performance mode and a like frame rate mode in this game, and the like the frame rate mode in this game doesn't really have like a more significant either bump up in frame rate. It does have a more consistent thirty fps frame rate. That's what it does, but it doesn't really feel all too noticeable to me, and. It, just to see that, like, you have to choose between performance or uh, or graphic fidelity. Once again, like in next gen, like with the Miles Morales, like sixty yeah. FPS, four K mode and whatnot that they're tweeting out. Like, just to see that, like, those different modes again, like having to getting carried over to next gen doesn't really, it doesn't sit well with me because it's like kind of communicating. Uh, I guess I'm kind of getting a little bit off topic, but it's kind of gonna be communicating to me. <laughs> That like like you know these next gen consoles are like oh they're still underpowered still can't freaking do this I still have to make compromises I still can't just like put this disc in or boot this game up on a console and like expect that like I'm gonna get like a pretty like just good baseline experience. I I agree because like I had completely forgotten there was the the choice between performance and fidelity. Like I, I remember switching between them and then just sort of shrugging and carrying on. And I I still don't know what I'm, what I'm stuck on now. Uh. There was a moment that I hate to talk about, like a moment that changed it all for me because I'm still the belief that it's a very good game that just hasn't like fully hit me like it has everyone else. Um, towards the end of Act One, I won't go into spoilers, but there's a fight with a side character and set like in this like little lake, and there's like fl- there's like uh, lanterns that are lit on the floor, and as you're like dodging and swinging your sword, like lanterns are just flying up and like going everywhere, and it's like a typical photo mode moment. But like last week, I said, oh, you know, like everyone's talking about the graphics and the presentation, how amazing it is, and like I'm I'm sick of hearing it. At that moment, I was like, God damn oh, it! I like, see where they're coming ah, from. Yeah, like I'd seen it before. It 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 is the best presented game on the ps4 by far i would say but i i i the it just hit me more then i guess and then there was also the fact that the story was sort of ramping up and this, like these side characters were really good and then Jin was getting more interesting it kind of made me go okay yeah i i can see why people are enjoying it so much i'm definitely going to look into more hours into it uh this weekend i think yeah, I'll, I'll try to get around more to it uh, as well. I, I am interested to see more of it. I think the just the the thing that 
that I get away with it. Uh, it's like it just it kind of bugs me on the side just a little. It's like it's definitely it definitely oozes that energy of like this is like and just like by nature of the development of this game, right? It's like it's definitely a Western lens of like of the Japanese mythology of samurai, right? And it's just it it kind of irks me just a little bit because it's kind of it it, it kind of it feels like it kind of puts down like tenets of that era that it's like shooting for, especially like when you go to this random location. It's like ah, go compose a haiku poem here. Pick oh yeah a, ra- a, ra- a random like line, and then we're gonna put you in this other. Thing, and then you can go pick another line right here and after you're done doing that he'll like recite it all like peacefully as if like whatever you did had like any meaning it's like, yeah, it's as if like it was a random envi- environmental scenery and like these lines that you chose it's like yeah, it's kind of that's that's corny for me it's like you that's that's not really conveying anything significant and yeah like, not to say, not to say yeah, that it has you, to, you all but, know what haikus are right it's yeah exactly like, wink, wink. Uh, i actually just read an article on um Kotaku, literally uh, just before this podcast, um, and it was saying about how they asked an expert to read uh, some of the haikus, and that like the expert was like, "Yeah, these aren't meaningful in any way. Like they're, they're really, like haikus," <laughs> and uh, that made me laugh because like I could never go back and see like Jin sat there like quoting it like it's powerful again because I just I just know that they're, they're not good. So there are definitely like that. Aside just like, you know, separate like separating you know, the actual game mechanics and like just the weird presentation of this game on like a on, on a deeper level. It's just it's something I have to like get used to. Because that there are definitely like a handful of issues I have with this game, but like the actual playing it is okay part. Yeah, I'd agree. Do you think that this is a good swan song for the PS4? Uh, I'd I'd say I'd probably like argue that probably Last of Us Two is a greater one because of just like the the actual like graphical fidelity in Last of Us Two, like just the tech in it is probably like a better showcase of like oh yeah this was this was like the peak of like what the PS4 could manage like I guess uh, Last of Us Two and Ghost of Tsushima are like tackling different things like Last of Us Two is definitely had like a more cinematic like oh like PS4 is able to achieve like this peak at the end of it while um Ghost of Shima is like this was it, like first parties were able to achieve like this sort of style in an open world game with this so they're kind of they both like are two different sides of the same coin it almost feels like Last of Us 2 was like this big earthquake and then Ghost of Shima is like this aftershock like I think last week I was a little I was harsh on Ghost of Shima overall um but I think I would attribute some of that to The Last of Us Part Two, maybe being my favorite game this generation. Like it had, I, I've talked about this before. I'm, I'm not going to go into another near tears rant about The Last of Us, but that was so fantastic that any game shooting in the same ballpark of PlayStation exclusive, epic single player emotional story is going to be a bit like. Does, is it the last of us though like that's that's stupid and redundant but i can't help having that you've had that uh, high bar that you're stepping yeah. down from Brian, so, oh, go for it to finish your thought uh i i think it is a suitable swan song i think so- sucker punch fantastic um and i'm i, I need to finish it i need i, I go at that because it is 
is really good. Brian, I think you and I know. Right? Go ahead, Josh. (laughs) I think you and I know it's the real swan song of PS4. It's a a certain HD remaster we're going to get to. Oh, yeah. So uh, speaking of that, like, I guess, so thanks for sticking through this. We got through five people in 50 minutes in terms of games we played. So I think that's that's pretty commendable. <laughs> Only spent about 10 minutes talking about Monster Hunter. Yeah, we've never talked about that on this podcast. Never. All right. So uh, this this is going to be like roughly chronological. So we're, we're going into our topic slash news section. Obviously, like. I, none of us here are expecting that we are delivering this news to you because I think anyone that's listening to this is already aware of everything we're going to be talking about. But we'll just kind of see where the natural stopping points are and what's interesting to talk about and what's something we can kind of bring up and move on from. So I'll just kind of introduce these in roughly the chronological order that they appeared in. So that, that starts off on Monday with this mini, not micro surprise Nintendo Direct that I don't think anyone really had any expectations for, especially after the last time Nintendo gave a surprise. It ended up being a Bakugan game, of all things. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, like like we said at the top, Shin Megami Tensei Five. it's alive. It's been over two years since we've seen it or really heard about it. Maybe with like a couple little snippets here and there, but not nothing really substantial at all for the last two years about where this game was, it was kind of announced and then just dropped, like lingering there in the background on the horizon. And we finally got a little two-minute uh, trailer for it. So what do we think about what we saw in Shin Megami Tensei Five? It's not a whole uh, lot, but it's something, which I think man. is a lot. There's... We haven't seen anything about the gameplay, but I feel like we can say a lot about the overall tone that they're going for, just based off the art style, for one thing, but also, like, the other game that they chose to show right next to it. Okay, so so SMT5, it looks like atmosphere and tone is kind of like, after hot off the heels of a, the Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne HD remaster announcement, they showed it right after that. So they're obviously trying to hint that like there's going to be more like a Nocturne uh, style, which is great. I love Nocturne to death. And But the, the weird thing about this, because this trailer, this trailer kind of conveys more that it actually, like, probably, I, I don't know, th- this is kind of hard to describe because this is definitely in a continuity of, like, Shin Megami Tensei 2 plot-wise. Because where Shin Megami Tensei 2 can end up is basically God is dead. Like, Yahweh is dead. And so that sounds right like away, a Shin Megami Tensei plot. Yeah, and right away... So right away at, the, at this trailer, I think it was Lucifer. This that was Satan or Lucifer, Adam. I think it, I think it was Lucifer at the SMT five trailer saying, "Hey, God is dead," you know, and uh, and like you see that the invasion of Tokyo from the demons is uh, uh, happening in full, full force now, and which also could be linked to one of the uh, endings in um, Nocturne, depending on how you interpret it. It's very open ended. Um, you see the, our first glance at the main character. We don't know the, the gender of the character yet. Could go either way. Um, and right away from the art style, it's probably Masayuki Doi for the character designer instead of Kazuma Kaneko. Because you, you can definitely tell the way that the eyelashes and the general face and the facial expressions are being conveyed. It's it's like four and four. It looks, like, it looks yeah. like trauma center art in ways. Yes. Right? Yeah. So. And that's Masayuki Doi who uh, did that instead of Kazuma. By the way, Kaneko. before we get before we get too much further, I just want to say something that I yeah. missed is that this is a simultaneous release for 2021. Right, worldwide simultaneous. 
and that's a first for the mainline Shin Megami Tensei game. So it's probably safe to assume that this is because of the partnership with Nintendo. I don't think if Atlas was left to its own devices here, they would push Worldwide simultaneous, honestly. I don't think we know for sure yet, but this might end up being one of those like kind of Dragon Quest XI-S situations where Nintendo might actually be doing the worldwide publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Atlas, though, it's not quite the same because Atlas has mentioned it on their Twitter account, right? Um, so the, the Dragon Quest one was weirder because, like, uh, Square Enix could like would never ever mention the Switch version of Dragon Quest. It, like, it would just never happen because it was all Nintendo. So it may not be exactly that, but there's definitely some partnership of some sort happening. Yeah, maybe we don't know if it's like exclusive, tight exclusive right now. There's not really any details on that, but it the SMT five trailer left a strong impression on me. Like it gave me confidence. It's like, okay, there are still they're they're definitely trying to keep a certain tone and spirit. Like they 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 still have the distinction of like what is a mainline SMT game and like what's a Persona game, for example. You know. And I like actually, I, like, you had I mentioned kind of which one was brought up first and second, but since this was not like a stream, it was just YouTube. Uh, yeah. I actually did not know like which of these trailers actually appeared first between SMT5 and then the Nocturne remaster information. Yeah, so the, this is a weird one because the, the first thing that they actually they showed off was the, I guess we'll get to it maybe later, maybe now, the 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 cadence of Hyrule, Crypt and Necrodancer stuff. And I guess we'll go over that like just right now, I guess. Because they started off that mini direct uh, showing that it's going to get a season pass and a physical release worldwide on October 23rd. And then, you know, the DLC is like new characters like um, Impa, uh, Frederick, uh, the shopkeeper from uh, Necrodancer, which is awesome, along with Shadow Link and Shadow Zelda. Uh, more new tracks and remixes uh, coming to that, which is awesome, and story DLC, which is which is great. That's a, that's a great game. I'm glad that's getting more content um, and whatnot. And then they they went into some other games that I can't remember. Off, like nothing was really relevant to us until Nocturne HD. Then on SMT5. the Japanese side, they announced right. uh, Rise of Two, which was really weird because like right after it got announced, like Koei Tecmo even said, "Hey, it just got announced during the Japanese Nintendo Direct, and it's also yeah. coming to the West." I don't know why they didn't just have it in the Western Nintendo Direct. Okay, so yeah, so so we'll get we'll get to all of that, yeah, but uh, yes, You're reeling, right. yeah, reeling back to uh, Shin Megami Tensei. I have not played any of these. I've played pers- one Persona game, Uno. Uh, so I think <laughs> okay, Persona uh, One you played? Oh, <laughs> oh no, I, no, just counting one, one of them. Okay, yeah. I played four. Uh, so not not four of them, just number four. All right, so we got that cleared <laughs> up. Uh, the other one they announced is uh, Shin Megami Tensei Three Nocturne HD Remaster. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is not a simultaneous worldwide release. This is coming out in Japan this October and then spring for the rest of the world. It was announced in the Nintendo Direct, but it's also coming to PlayStation 4. So this might yeah. this is this is Josh's uh, swan song for the PS4 for sure. Yes, that's for sure. This is my favorite game on the PS2, hands down. Like I, I don't even think about like like if people ask me what's my favorite game on PS2, this is the game. Um, this is adding voice acting. To the game, which I'm kind of iffy on. I think a lot of the charm of uh, Nocturne is a completely like no voice acting aside from Battle Grunts because it's a definitely like isolated, lonely game, and I, I really like the the vibe that it gives off. So you can turn that off; it's fine. 
they they had the, they announced a Japanese voice cast in a live stream uh, a few days back, uh, which has like a, a lot of uh, like star like voice actors in it. So they're at least for the Japanese side, it's uh, has a really good voice cast. Uh, they'll probably uh, have an English voice cast for it as well because the announcement for it was dubbed in English. So I imagine they're gonna do that. Um, also. They're adding a, a merciful difficulty, so like an easy mode to the game because this game is, I don't call it not like notoriously hard. It's one of those games they have to learn how to play, but I can see why people find it difficult. And there, there's a difficulty mode for people who want an easier time with it. Yeah, um, Nocturne was the first SMT game I played. I know some people actually say if you if you aren't familiar with SMT, you should play like Digital Devil Saga first because it's like a little bit more traditional and not as hard even though it's still kind of tough in places but like nocturne um it's one of those games yeah it has like a learning curve and just figuring out how to approach it and how to play it you can't just do what you do in a lot of other especially japanese rpgs where you just like attack and heal and that's all you have to do it's you know, you have to you have to co- you have to coordinate like your demons and your buffs and debuffs and things like that else you're never going to beat matador um, who is kind of infamous for being an early game sort of yeah. roadblock for people? Yeah, yeah. but yeah. um, in terms of Nocturne, one person uh, I know kind of described the game as uh, this is the only video game I've ever played. I'm paraphrasing him. That made me feel like I was like on drugs in some way. Like it's just so surreal and so kind of the 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 whole vibe around everything is just it's it's impeccable um it's like you feel like you're lucidly dreaming or something like that yes um it's it's like dreamlike drug-like however you want to describe it and i totally understand where he's coming from and i think that also ties into the voice acting thing where if you add voices it almost feels like it grounds it a little bit too much i feel almost like i kind of i kind of like having these mute characters talking and then you sort of just imagine in your head you know the intonation and their voices and things like that uh it just kind of fits that dreamlike state so yeah like there's like the way the the way that game moves there's like a lot of dithering in its motion it's so it's kind of like when you're when you like kind of look around like you uh really fast it's kind of has that vibe of like kind of almost after images in it and the way like the camera pans whenever like you speak to a person for the first time kind of like it kind of like shoots past them a little bit then like refocuses on them it's like oh you were looking at this person and like it's kind of like a surprise that like you're they're there you know and i kind of totally agree uh with uh with your friend on like giving it that dreamy vibe it's and it's, just a lot of a lot of the lighting and uh visual effects kind of draw that i think description yeah. as well it's, a, um, it's definitely an eternal like art style too like the cell shading work they did in this game it still pretty much holds up they release really screenshots for this remaster yeah i was gonna like, ask like how do you think about what how the game is shaping up visually in terms does it I has think, it kept its identity in that sense i think it has like i think it's uh ma- making it like just slightly like it's like small but effective like they kind of got rid of like the like the gray overtone just a, l- a little bit and kind of made it a little bit more clear but i think it's still retains that vibe uh, really well. It, it, they modernized just enough of the visuals to still retain that effect, uh, which is nice. I saw the live stream footage, and that it still exudes that uh, really effectively. Um, I also want to mention, before I forget, that the, the version that's getting an HD remaster uh, is 
not the one with Dante from the Devil May Cry. So it's just gonna ask this. This is yeah. my point. Yeah. I don't know so, SMT, but like I know so, Dante was. A- mm-hmm. So to to kind of go over, like Nocturne has had three separate releases. The the first one in Japan. This the this, the the base release never got localized as well. It's kind of like the same content, uh, minus the big Amala labyrinth and the fiends. So that it has no true demon ending in the base version. So that that released in Japan. Then the next one that came after it was the one with Dante, uh, which also was the one that got localized. And this one added the Amala labyrinth, the fiends, and the true demon ending. So that was a lot of content. And that that's and the, the Amala labyrinth is great. Yes, fantastic. It's amazing. Probably one of my favorite like dungeons in the video game. Um, uh, also, like this was a weird thing. I don't remember like the business behind it uh, when releasing it to the West, but I imagine they added Dante from it just to make it more marketable in the West because SMT up until that point in release back in I don't remember off the top of my head for overseas like two thousand four or five two thousand four okay. Um, like SMT up until that point, like I don't know how many official English releases of that. You had Revelations Persona, which is a Shin Megami Tensei spinoff. You had Persona 2 Eternal Punishment for PS1, which was uh, a Shin Megami Tensei spinoff, and also the second half of Persona 2. Because I think insane. there was a Virtual Boy game. I th- you're probably right. You're I know Nocturne right. was the first one in the main series, and yeah. I didn't realize with the Persona series. The only the Western release had Shin Megami Tensei explicitly tethered to its title. Yeah, um, but yeah, it I wasn't think, a known they, started, they started adding the Shin Megami Tensei title starting Persona Three, I think, on the Persona games. Right, and this is one of those things that sometimes people get a little bit anal about. But like Digital Devil Saga, it's like not technically an SMT game. It's called kind of in the same fashion. It's yeah. clearly a spinoff, like Persona, but like in the West, it's called Shin Megami Tensei Digital Devil Saga. But in Japan, it's more like something like Megami Story Digital Devil Saga or something like that, or Avatar mm-hmm. Tuner. It's it's like yeah. not technically, and I know some people get like really up into the semantics there. Yeah, um, like but... there's a there's a, a weird period uh, in the aughts with, with the PS2 era where they tried to build Shin Megami Tensei as like a brand name, so they just started sticking that into Persona, to Devil Summoner, to Digital Level Saga, and just like, just all the PS2 releases just have that Shin Megami Tensei brand tag, like in the West, but not in the Japan. So so before we get like too far ahead, ahead of the point, what was Dante to SMT? Like, it, what was his role in it? I, I've seen like bits and bobs of it, but is he like a party member? So in, in Nocturne, you, the one thing that's different than a lot of RPGs, if you're if you're not familiar with SMT at all, it's actually almost best compared to something like Pokemon in a way, in a weird way, where you are basically recruiting demons to fight for you. You don't have like other characters fighting; it's just demons, and you fuse them together and you create other demons. It's kind of like the Persona that your main character has in a Persona game, only it's they're fighting as your actual party members, right? And but when you go to the Amala Labyrinth, which is this extra area that they added in the first re-release of the game, you at one point in there, you find Dante, and there's like a little <laughs> sub-story with him. And it's sort of, you know, they kind of fit because he's a demon hunter and there's demons in the game. And, you know, they just kind of, I think they just sort of make some argument that he's just in there hunting demons because that's what he does. And you fight him, 
And then you beat him. I think you meet him like two or three times. And then he eventually actually joined your team. So he's kind of like this unique character that fights for you, but he's not a demon. And he works just slightly differently because you can't fuse him or anything. Um, I don't think Josh actually ever got around to this, but the version that the remaster is based off of is Maniac's Chronicle Edition, yes. which Dante is now gone. They removed him. <laughs> this edition of the game actually releases like a bonus with uh, Devil Summoner 2, or not, Raidu 2, which is actually like the fourth game. It's confusing titles. What is this? Uh, King Abaddon and the shoot. Yeah, <laughs> the, yes. the second game with Raidu, and which released in 2008. And this version of Nocturne was like a bonus that came with that in Japan. And it replaced Dante with this Raidu character, which is an, another SMT character. And he's a really cool guy on his own, but it just kind of doesn't have the same like cross franchise cameo style to him because he's part of really the same franchise. I'm sorry, but like as as someone who is constantly given crap for Kingdom Hearts titles and like stand <laughs> what is SM that isn't fair. Like this this doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, well we didn't get like like GBA sequels, so I mean <laughs> that's that's the, my only defense, but you're right. You're you're right. But yes, the just to reiterate once again, the the Nocturne version that's getting the H2 Master is the one with Raido Kuzunoha in it, not Dante, and <laughs> the, that's that's the bottom line essentially. Um, the game I was thinking of was Devil Summoner Two, Raido Kuzunoha versus King Abaddon, which came out on PS2, which is also a great game. Yeah, I mean, also for what it is. Do you, do you think yeah. they're gonna fucking release Devil Summoner uh, right on PC? Man, I. I <laughs> Seriously, that's like the biggest hope out of all this. Like, man, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? But yeah, this is really exciting. Um, there's not much more info that like they uh, really went into. I, th- I think the really... Will, go, go will they it? change how like skill inheritance works? We don't know yet. I kind of hope not. <laughs> I kind of hope not too. I kind of hope that people just learn how to deal with RNG and cry. But... So, okay, for people who don't know, uh, like starting in the Persona Four Golden, I think maybe I forgot that you know when you fuse demons, uh, you can pick any skills you want. Like, hey, go choose these skills. Yeah, like yeah, these are the skills I want. So back then in SMT, yeah, every time you if you wanted like a specific skill set, you'd have to go in and out of the fusion menu. So like you like, oh, I got this. Uh, this what's gonna make like this? It doesn't have the skills I want. Go back one menu. Then go back in the in there with that uh, same fusion. It's like, does it have the skills that I want? So it's basically RNG uh, in the older older SMT titles, whether you got the skills that you wanted on your fused demons or not. Rather than just like the new era of like, oh, I can choose these skills and I'm good to go. It's like no. At but... least it's not you. At least you know the skills before you actually engage the fusion, right? Yeah, so you'll know, you'll see the the skills. It's just whether you want those all those skills or not. But yes, you can see them, and and you have to figure out whether uh, some skills are inher- inheritable inheritable or not. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this is just one of those things they can't really be objective about. Like <laughs> this luck of the draw, you have to work with what you're given in a way, although you can <laughs> cheese it a bit. So yeah. Uh, it's exciting though. I'm I'm really excited for this release. I also think it's really funny that the Japanese uh, voice for Matador, one of the most 
infinite infamous like early bosses in an smt game uh, is voiced by uh the japanese voice is uh master asia from g gundam in it it's yes. very good <laughs> my my final question because mm-hmm. uh he- hearing josh be so excited about it and also knowing that it's like quite well renowned is it suitable for a complete newcomer like me like i i know persona i know smt and persona are related um I don't I, know too much more. So would I, I be able to go into it? You can go into it. That's fine. I think it's a fantastic game to like start off with. Just it's one of those games that like it's it encourages uh, experimentation because you're so versatile with everything that you can do in that game and how you want to build your party and how you want to build your main protagonist in that game. It's very open ended, and I think it's uh, like it's one of those games that like kind of it's it's weird now like how modern games have like really tailored people to like go to this marker on the map to all these subject objectives and whatnot this is one of those games that's like you kind of you kind of get going and you there, there's still a main storyline and like where, where to go and whatnot but it's really about just kind of soaking in the atmosphere and tone of it as you kind of get to from place to place in that game it's a very it's a very moody lonely kind of game that not a lot of other games can give you these days there's still there's still not many games that can give you a similar vibe to what nocturne can give you especially with the voices off so it's not really a like a story driven game in fact most of the game you're you're spent basically you're the demi fiend you're wandering around this post destroyed tokyo after the demons have basically ruined it and you you run into your former friends here and there throughout the game as well as some other characters and Eventually, like each character kind of has a different philosophy on what the world should be and how, if the world can be recreated, how should that be done? And that effectively leads to the game's branching storylines is basically who do you side with? And so there's, um, it's not really like, it's not like a central storyline driving things forward. It's more like these different characters with kind of competing philosophies on on various things so it's it's a little bit of a different drive to things yeah you don't you're not you're not like meeting like um like oh i met a new story member that's gonna join me because the the only the only party members aside from Rido at this point uh it's like it's only gonna be you and your demons and what your success depends on like how well you recruit and you fuse demons but other than that you're kind of left to your own devices and kind of left to like struggle within you and yourself in this very lonely world of like the people you thought you knew kind of aren't really the people you used to know now <laughs> and it's kind of like oh man i feel I like do? i've gotten just a taste of that first of all i am really eager to play like this comes out in spring and then mm-hmm. we presume that smt5 will be a, a holiday game next year or later in the year at least so it'll be a, it'll be a nice you know introduction and then play the new hot you know hotness or whatever assuming i like the first one and i'm eager to start the fifth one um, but I got a, just a taste of what you're, what I think you guys are describing in terms of like a character driven like story, and not not so much plot driven with uh, Devil Survivor. Now, obviously, I know that's that does actually have like split. Well, you have party members and then they each pair up with like two demons or something like that, and that's obviously a tactical more like game. But it has the same sort of thing where like each character has a route towards their ending, which kind of aligns with you know that character's personality and their beliefs that's actually very true in fact i think one reason 
people would prefer the first Devil Survivor over the second one is that the first Devil Survivor does feel a little bit more SMT in that regard, where the second Devil Survivor game I still think is pretty good, but it's it kind of feels less SMT and more Persona. It even has like a social link system. Um, and even still then, I feel like the characters in Nocturne, um, they're a little bit more... In fact, I feel like in, in a way, they don't necessarily make great characters. They're more just like different representations of philosophies. And um, sometimes they're referred to as like a cipher where like this character represents this idea more so than them being like a bespoke, like written character, if that makes sense. I mean, I, and I mean that in a good way. It's just kind of a different take on what a character can be. And they're, they're not as present. Sense. Also, they're not as present. Also, they kind of just pop in here and there throughout the game. As Josh has said, most of the game is actually pretty lonely. Um, so if you're the type of person who like loves like character interaction, like you love when characters like are joking around and bouncing off each other and whatever, that's not this game. Uh, so not like that. <laughs> that that's not to say that, that, George is like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> that's not to say that that's not to say that you won't meet other characters again. There are definitely like different factions in this like ruined world now. That like are like competing with one another. Like there are still stories that like you go into in that game, but it's not like your standard story. Like, uh, just go into it with an open mindset. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right, I get that. So it's, actually, it's a, it's a little... probably, probably I, I would have to try it out. I think. Yeah. It's not just edgy persona. No, it's a little, a little <laughs> bit more than that. The Dark so... Souls of Persona. The <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, keeping things moving, just because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, James did obviously kind of introduce this, but in the Japanese Nintendo Mini Direct only, we got confirmation about Atelier Ryza 2, which we had kind of talked about last week because we had that kind of really credible leak from the like Australian, was it, classification board. And we kind of knew that this was coming, uh, and it is. But we did also talk about how the, the peculiarities of it wasn't in the... English Direct, which we've seen kind of before if the game doesn't have any explicit official localization announcement yet. But this one did because, like, we got confirmation from Koei Tecmo basically saying that this game, you know, obviously is going to be released worldwide. Maybe not simultaneously. We haven't seen that yet. They put up a bunch of teaser websites for, you know, North America, Europe, and Japan. Which, to be clear, which live. Um, okay, go ahead. Uh, to be clear, Koei Tecmo basically sent out a press release, and not, like the Western branch of Koei Tecmo set out press releases to announce this, basically roughly at the same time that Nintendo Direct went up. So even though it wasn't like in the Western Nintendo Direct, Koei Tecmo basically announced it simultaneously. So it's a little bit weird. Weird. And yeah. the also website for this noting, will go live this week sometime. Go ahead, James. It's also worth noting that Ryza itself was already only like a month's uh, difference between the Japanese and North American launch. Uh, I believe that they haven't announced like full details for Ryza 2 yet, but it would not shock me if once that information goes live that we get a proper simultaneous release this time around because they're inching closer and closer to it. Yeah, that's, I think, uh, I, I think, I think uh, it's, it's a safe bet that that might be the case. I, I'm also kind of a little bit worried uh, in that sense because uh gus games uh when they release in japan like they're infamous for having a lot of bugs and kind of rough launches and they really th like they usually have to like 
patch it up pretty damn well and fast like get them like at a decent state like it's it's like a consistent thing with like gust games um when they first launch initially in japan it's so that's one of my one of my big worries but i think it's it makes sense i mean ariza sold gangbusters in both territories yeah relative to the series yeah yeah um and, and I this think is this the takes, first like, direct like, sequel since like Iris in like a decade or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So the, obviously, there's an audience for it. A lot of people really like the the cast or the battle system and whatnot. And I think it's set like two to three years after, so it's kind of still like a direct story continuation as well. And you saw, I think I forgot the the name, the blonde character in that game, but Claudia, they showed her off. Yeah, Claudia. They showed her off in the the, the first trailer. At the mini Nintendo Direct, you know, so I think this is smart of them. Uh, Ryza I think uh, Elizabeth was already like, I want to cover this when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's cool that that's uh, Atelier uh, fans are getting fed well. And uh, well, I, I don't know much about Astro this. Week's, uh, three Atelier games last year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel I feel for the people who really keep on top of this series. Uh and this this game I guess showed a bunch of stuff that was kind of new, uh at least to Ryza, where such as swimming and riding monsters. Things right. Like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And though like you said, you mentioned earlier, there'll be like a live stream sometime like in the middle of this week, uh when this podcast goes live. Um, I don't know if it's a stream, but it's like a, it's at least a website update, which will probably have video footage and stuff. There, the, the, there's a, there's like a YouTube premiere stream like at the teaser ah, website. Okay. And then this is uh, coming out for PS4, Switch, and PC, which I think is the same slate as Rise of One. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Is Rise of One I, I, still like 300 bucks on Amazon or whatever for Switch? What? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so basically what happened is is that Koei Tecmo never did a reprint for Ryza. So, well, they did one for the European Switch version. So you can get that for like 50 bucks on like eBay, even in the West. But the North American... Uh, Switch version of Ryza is like several hundred dollars if you want a new copy. Just go digital. (laughs) It's not worth it. (laughs) But yeah, well, I guess we'll reconvene a third week in a row to talk about Ryza 2 once we see what those uh, new details coming out this week are. So visit us again next Saturday. And I'm sure we'll get the the tree feed of information, you know, with the Famitsu magazine and whatnot, like introducing everything, every like single detail of this game up until release too. Every character that has any dialogue line will have like yeah, pretty much. All right. um, Another thing that was uh, announced in the uh, I'm clicking through my browser tabs here because there's just so much. Also in the Japanese direct only was a release date for uh, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. So that is coming out November 10th in North America, November 20th in Europe. For it was announced in the Nintendo Direct, the Japanese side, but it's coming out for Nintendo Switch, PS4, and PC. So, Josh, uh, I feel like the two of us are the ones that probably have the most investment with this game. You excited for it to finally release? Man, it's been how many E3s was it playable at at Exceed's booth? So Three? one of my friends, yeah, one of my friends actually went to Doug back like exactly when this game was announced, and it was like at some um, Comic Cat trailer back in 2016, like when they first showed off this game. Because usually Comic Cat, uh, the comic market in Japan, uh, whenever they before they do one of those in Japan, like the big 
like conference like uh for like fan made stuff like uh like dojins and uh maybe figs and like anime announcements and whatnot there it's kind of um maybe a big fan gathering essentially with some official sponsors um they usually release like this big like one hour plus trailer of like all the games that they're going to be either showing off there and or selling there because like a lot of like the japanese indie scene like rely on comicat uh, to sell their products so the like the first teaser of Sakura was there so it's been a, it's been a long journey but it's been it's come a long way i i watched that uh first trailer uh when they first announced it and it's man they've been working at this game like crazy yeah. it's so um, for people now. yeah for people that aren't familiar with it, it i guess the best way to describe it is is that like half of the game is like a muramasa the demon blade-esque like side scrolling like action platformer type feel um more of a focus on fighting and the other half is a it's not something like Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons because it's literally like a super in-depth and actually like a bunch of different like parts of the process rice growing. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's to, more involved. Like you have to actually you have, have to like pound the field. You, like you need to level the field. You need to like plant the rice. You need to flood it. Then like you need to grow it. Then you need to cut the rice. Then you need to actually just there's just so many steps. It's it's kind of crazy. It's it makes a lot of sense why most of the time at E3 they they tried to goad people into the action gameplay demo because that rice uh, mechanics uh, doesn't demo very well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But but it, but it looks really cool. And uh, yeah. they they also made the important confirmation that finally in this game they added the feature to pet the dog in this game. Last time they they, they showed it off, you couldn't pet the dog. Now you can. What well, well, what was the That's last game to release with a dog that didn't allow you to pet it? Um, you mean. Uh, I feel like it's like a requirement now. Like you would just yeah, be pilloried like, well, and like tarred and feathered if you did. Three houses oh. added the dog update, and you couldn't pet them. You could only feed oh. them. Oh right, that's right. I don't that know. game is actually it's getting terrible. its one year anniversary tomorrow, as of the time of this recording. So oh my god, crazy. really? It's weird. <laughs> yeah, to me, it feels uh, like it's been out longer out. than a year. But anyway, that's a tangent. But yeah, Sakuna Rice and Ruin coming out November 10th or 20th, depending on where you live. At long last. Yep. Yep. Now, between the Nintendo Mini Direct and the Xbox event, we got information about the next Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers uh, patch, you know, post-expansion post patch. Uh, which, I guess that's my cue. Yeah, I guess this, you're yeah. the one that, are, that is able to pick through the patch list here. We finally but, found someone to play FF14 on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> the, the general premise is that this is for the 5.3 patch, but also introduced big changes to the free trial. So James. Yeah. Uh, so they announced this quite a while ago. And uh, like, even before I finally got back to playing Final Fantasy 14 earlier this year, I knew it was eventually coming. I was just crazy and decided to play through it anyways. Um, so 5.3 was the big patch that we knew was going to overhaul a significant portion of the Realm Reborn content in the game. Uh, so during the last uh, live letter before this one, we got more details about, about what exactly was going to change about the Realm Reborn content in 5.3. So we already knew stuff like they're axing about like 13% of the quests in Realm Reborn, mostly in the patch quests. And they're also changing up 
a bunch of the actual requirements to clear each of the quests in a realm reborn in the patches. So this is mostly a problem in the patch quests. I definitely noticed it when I was playing through them is that, yeah, there's a hundred quests, which wouldn't normally be a problem because those can only take, those usually are only like 10 minutes unless there's like specific cutscenes or there's like a dungeon or a trial you need to do. The problem with the um, a realm reborn patch quests is that they force you to go around the world a bunch. Like they would say, hey, I need you to talk to this person in this part of the map. And it's like, oh, hey, I need you to talk to this person in this entirely different province on the other end of the map. And then they had you do it like four times just for one quest. So uh, sounding like that's going to be cut down a bunch as well as just quests are axed entirely. Why aren't there and cell phones the in that game? Hmm? Why aren't there cell phones in that game? Why can't just people just like call each other in that game and say, hey, yo. <laughs> there, there actually is something like that. They're called Link Pearls. And you can talk to people across the continent that way. Why don't they have to use that? What the hell? Because uh, of plot reasons. Questions. Ah, okay. All right. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we already knew that stuff. We also knew that they were adding flying to the Realm Reborn maps, which also will help because that means you can well, fly across the maps at a certain point. Um, the big news from this live letter is twofold. First off, we got some more information about the actual uh, 5.3 MSQ, which is very concerning for, uh, not concerning in a bad way, but concerning for some of the implications that's going to happen for a fan-favorite character. So that's going to be fun. And... Um, by far the biggest news is the changes to the free trial, which is honestly bonkers. So before, well, the free trial right now, if you were to start like today, is um, lets you play up through level 35. And once you hit level 35, you can keep playing, but you can't level up and you can't progress in the MSQ. And it's been that way for years now. Um, there's actually a specific MSQ point that stops at level 35, so I can understand why it was that way for a long time, because it's like a cliffhanger and whatnot. Um, but I guess kind of coinciding with the changes to Realm Reborn and all that, uh, they decided, oh, let's, uh, let's make it so that <laughs> the free trial lasts longer, so we can get people addicted to the game once they uh, finish the free trial. Because now it goes through the ending of Heaven's Word. So you have the, the base game and the entirety of the first expansion pack completely free to play. So if you've never played Final Fantasy XIV before, you can just download the free trial and you have literally hundreds of hours of content completely free, no subscription. There's like a few stipulations, like you can't join a free company, you can't, which is basically guilds. You can't. People you can join parties. a party, but you can't start one, something like that? Yeah, you can't start one, you can join a party. And that's all stuff that makes sense, because they don't want a bunch of, like, bots doing things right. in, like, Heaven's Ward areas and stuff like that. But it's it's honestly insane, because... Is there a level cap for this new uh, free level trial? Level 60. Okay. Which, again, you can complete the all of the Heaven's Ward content. Yeah, I was going to say, what was 60 the level cap during at Heaven's Ward? Yeah, and, like, as I was going through Heaven's Word, I remember, like, and let me just check, like, what, what my uh, playtime was when I finished, like, Heaven's Word, not even just the patches. I know it was, like, several hundred hours for me just getting that far. So it's 
honestly insane just how uh how much content there is let's see i, I saw uh, an ancient character there that completed uh realm reborn but like it, it like it they completed it like immediately after the story ended and none of the, like the the quests or patches in yeah. between that and heaven's sword so are they are they addressing that yet because people are like i don't yes think okay yes yeah, that's one of the things we're addressing. They're like axing 13% of the quests that are in those patches, and they're okay. also making them less annoying to go through the remaining um, quests. So, uh, so it's going to be a lot better. Yeah, but yeah maybe, just maybe to put in perspective, uh, like when I finished Heaven's Word, not even like the patch quest for Heaven's Word, but just Heaven's Word itself, that was 235 hours. So that wasn't including some of the optional like trials post the Heaven's Word, not the extra story content there not the raids. So realistically, you have at least like 300 hours of content if you've never played Final Fantasy XIV before, completely free. Or you can go get good at Dota 2. <laughs> you can get halfway through Monster Hunter. <laughs> so here's a question for you, Brian. Are you going to, do you think this might be enough to get you to try Final Fantasy? Uh, uh, this isn't the answer you want to hear, but probably not. Like this is Final Fantasy. <laughs> I... It's a game that I am 100% satisfied just like seeing other people's experience. Like I don't really have the drive to try it myself. I don't know. It's just like everyone already has an opinion on it. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to let other people who are like well-versed and they've been in this soup a long time to tell me how good it is. Like I am 100% okay with that. I still agree. But you can become the hero of darkness in it now. Warrior of darkness. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) But yeah, um, this is... Like, that's big. That's big. Yeah, it, it's huge. Huge. Um, only problem is, is that I do wonder if that's the reason why they've been giving out the starter edition a bunch over the last couple of months. Because if you own the starter edition, even if you haven't played through the Heaven's Work content, you have to sub. I wonder when we'll uh, first hear like PS5 information about this game. Uh, that's a good question. Because we also know that the game is coming to Xbox. We just don't know when. It was not announced on the Xbox thing. <laughs> yeah. I I could have sworn, like, I was assuming that we were going to get information about Final Fantasy XIV on Xbox during the Xbox thing, because we already knew it's coming. It just, but whatever. I guess they only had, they could only focus on one MMO at a time. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Fable. coming up. <laughs> it's a great one. All right. So any other final thoughts on Final Fantasy XIV? Uh, play it. You have no excuse not to at least give it a shot now. Well, yeah, at yeah, least the... once the update happens, August eleventh. All right, no, we never dated no it. Yeah, August eleventh. Thank you for bringing that up. But yeah, that's yeah. when the that's when five point three lands and the changes to the free trial. So, all right, we move into the Xbox announcements. Which before we go into any specific announcement, how do you feel about the show itself? As a show for Xbox as a platform, I feel like it was disappointing. But as um, wait one second, guys. Sh- one second, guys. If we want to go in chronological order, should we talk about Yakuza now? Oh, I thought that no, was after. the day before. Oh. Okay, there's so well, much. I mean, technically, right. technically, if you want to go chronological, like the the state extra thing also was in there somewhere before the whole oh, reason yeah. Josh jumped on today. Uh, <laughs> let's talk Yakuza. 
let's let's, okay. let's, let's talk out because okay sorry about the little jumping back and forth we have a huge list of games and then we try to like categorize it and then also chronologize <laughs> it and that doesn't always work okay so yakuza like a dragon known in japan as yakuza 7 we obviously knew uh excuse me it's yakuza 7 whereabouts of light and darkness thank you very much yes <laughs> i love uh, that fucking subtitle it's it's got english voice acting that's what the major announcement from this week was, which is in the following in the footsteps of Judgment from the same studio from last year. So it's kind of one of those things where it's, well, it kind of goes on like what we talked about earlier in the podcast, where it's like for some people, you would, some people make the argument that a game set in Japan with such a, like a realistic art style doesn't need English voice acting and the game, the series hasn't had it since the original PS2 release, but now it does again. So how do we feel about that? I feel like Sega is really trying to push this game to be like, first of all, Yakuza has definitely gained popularity and prominence in the last few years, especially due to Sega's high localization effort on it. And I feel like it's done well enough where they feel like maybe this has broad enough appeal that we can broaden it even more with English voice acting. Of course, the diehard fans who have pre-ordered this game and you know have played every other game in the series are probably going to go with Japanese voices just because, you know, they already know all the characters in that world in their Japanese voices. But it feels like Sega is really trying to push this as like a new starting point, which is one reason why they gave it the title they did, like a dragon rather than the number. And they just maybe feel like, hey, if we want to have this be a starting point, maybe try to broaden the audience a bit, we want to offer this option for voices. Um, and that's what they did. Uh, it just got to that point where they felt like it was worth doing. Thing yeah, is cool. I think um, it's just. I guess. I guess it's a smart decision, right? The, the, despite like you know, qualms about like, hey, this is not really the greatest starting point because it does get pretty lore heavy the second half and whatnot from people who played it. You know, I, I at some point they do have to make a tough decision. It's like we can keep on going with Yakuza Seven, but it's kind of it's diminishing returns of like, how do we convince people to? give this series a shot but people like I, I i don't remember how final fantasy 7 did it back in the day on ps1 of like how do we convince people to give this game a shot when it has the big seven in its title right because maybe the final fantasy brand can carry it that that much but i'm it's eager to see like as a seven in general because well it's releasing on like five platforms in the West at the same time. It feels like cause, all right. And well, I'm that's not... that's actually a that's actually a kind of a detail that I wanted to bring up. Is like we didn't have any confirmation of a PS5 version of this game until this announcement, where it will have a PlayStation Five upgrade path, but it will come later compared to the PC, Xbox, and Series X version. Which I don't know if we've really got details about why that is. Some people think it's a weird marketing exclusivity. Some people think it might just be like a development thing. I feel, well, first of all, just to be specific, I think they announced that the current generation versions, so PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC, those versions are releasing in November. The Xbox Series X version is releasing as a launch title for that, which may also be November. Actually, it probably is. It just hasn't been said explicitly. And then the PS5 version is probably not a launch title for PS5, and that's coming later. Just kind of, we don't, we don't have any solid dates, but we, we're narrowing it down. Um, but yeah, the PS5 version isn't a launch title. Maybe they just got support for the Xbox version first, and that's why they're doing that first. Right? Who knows? Like, one of the yeah. things I've been 
feeling about Yakuza recently is that we had like that kind of like flood of PC ports that just kind of dried up and it, we didn't know where they went. My thought is, is that what happened is, is that probably the same uh, group of Sega people that were working on the PC ports ended up doing the Xbox ports. And that's why things got kind of murky with PC versions of the games until like seven, which is going to be simultaneous, like all platforms. So I guess maybe the reason why it's focused on the Xbox versions is it's literally just what their manpower like in the West can handle right now. And maybe the Japanese side is doing the PS5 patch. I don't know. I think the Xbox version for Kiwami 2 just released. Like, let me let me actually look this up. Like, that just came out, so that was the most recent release of it. So maybe, who knows? Like, they that that remaster package that came out in February for PS4 with three, four, and five. Maybe that'll maybe they're going to start working on getting that ported to Xbox and PC, and maybe that will come out after seven. Who knows? Yeah, I am curious about where they'll follow up. Like, if once they move on to Yakuza Eight, whether it's still turn based or something completely different. Like, yeah, this really is the, the fact that for the worldwide release, they decided to drop the number. Like, they're kind of stuck with that now. They, they, or I guess they're not. They could just go back to calling it Eight, but it's just, it's just always going to be this weird shift point where they decided for this game to drop it. Oh, by yeah. the way, it's uh, two releases on Xbox on July thirtieth. So that's like next week or this uh, week. Yeah. Cool. Good game. Uh, I guess uh, the also, question about whether or not it's going to stay turn-based or go action really depends on whether or not we get a sequel to Judgment. If we get a sequel to Judgment, then I'm going to say that Yakuza sticks to turn-based. We'll see. I, I, I think that it could be. It, it doesn't have to be one way or the other for them. I think they could really. They're really looking for feedback of like, do people are, are, are do, do we have an international audience for this? Are is like. Is our audience all around the world like okay with us going this direction? I think they're, they're, that's kind of the tipping point right now. Uh, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. And then obviously uh, also, taking into like taking into account what type of game do they want to make? If they want to make a turn-based game, yeah. then, then then they'll make it. <laughs> yep. Uh, also, uh, Scott Strickhart on Twitter, uh, he's part of the localization team uh, on the Yakuza games for a long while now. Uh, he listed down the features of uh, like a like a dragon's localization, including there's dual audio. Oh, Japanese to English. There's dual English subs, so depending on uh, if you choose the uh, Japanese voices, it'll have English subtitles that match what they're saying in Japanese and English uh, oh. subtitles for what they're saying in English. Uh, fig so subtitles. Not subtitles. So, yeah, not dub titles. So fig subtitles, so, so French, uh, Italy, Germany, Spanish. Uh, and that's built for Japanese audio. And, uh, and most importantly, well, not most importantly, but a nice feature to have is that the lips the lip sync uh, matches the audio that you play in, which is not uh, cool. so something something that's not present in a certain recent uh, AAA title. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's uh, that's great for uh, um, games that have realistic art styles. Like if it's like you know an anime art style, to be honest, I'm you know you can't really match lips, and I'm kind of fine either hearing Japanese or English voices. But with a game like Yakuza, if they didn't match the lips, that would be like a deal breaker for even trying it in English. Yeah. Um, and I know like Ghost of Tsushima is kind of awkward in that it's realistic art style, but created in, in America. So it's English voices match with uh, English faces like they're, they're matched to English voices, but not the Japanese voices. 
It's like yeah, watching that, a, that, um, can be, that can be really weird, especially with that realistic art style. It's, it's, it's kind of weird. Even, yeah, it's even weirder, right? Because I'm like, I'm I play Ghost of Tsushima in Japanese because like I kind of want to see it's like it's obviously in the Japanese setting, kind of hitting on ja the, these Japanese themes and you know at this time period. So it's kind of weird that they don't have lip sync support for that audio. It's it's a big bummer because it's so obvious. Yeah, but that is kind of the tipping point for me about that consideration about which voice track to listen to. How realistic is the art style? How to what degree is there like a mocap in the facial animations? Like I would never consider watching a foreign film in an English dub because your base the actors are providing their own voice to the in a live action film. And to take that away, it just would be really awkward. But if it's in a cartoony art style, then whether it's in English or Japanese, the voice track is being appended to the computer animation. So whether or not that animation is realistic in terms of like mocap or Ghost Tsushima's art style or Yakuza's art style, I'm going to be more likely to want to play that in English compared to something that's a more cartoony art style where it's like, all right, now I can just go purely based on the performance I want to hear because it's not going to take me out of the, the game to to have like that sort of mismatch. Yeah, I, I think that's the realism is... Yeah, I think the realism is a big part of it. But so it's really cool that they did the build up match for the new English dub. Um, was there anything else yeah, that they yeah, announced yeah. about Yakuza? I guess they announced the uh, pre-order stuff, which is just like yeah, costumes. the pre-order, yeah, costumes. They 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 also announced they you know, also the voice talent like Reg Chun is back uh, from Judgment. He voiced the main protagonist in Judgment. He did a fantastic job with that. They have uh, George Takei, very very big a uh, voice uh, on Yakuza Like a Dragon. It's uh, it's good stuff. I, th I think I really like that, you know, they're giving such a big consideration to English voice acting and it really showed in judgment. It's nice to see that the same concert, uh, concentrated effort in Like a Dragon because it's so it's so easy to mess this up. So it's, it's nice that they're really giving it their all on this. Oh, I think I might have mentioned this last week, but I think it's just really cool when games have like multiple voice tracks. I think I mentioned that like Horizon Zero Dawn has like 12 different voice tracks. And I, I just think that's awesome personally when yeah. games do that. For sure. And now we can go into uh, Xbox stuff. Even though for Yakuza, it feels like, like you mentioned with Kwame 2, they've really partnered with Microsoft in, uh, from a marketing standpoint. I don't know whether or not they explicitly have like the marketing deal, but I, I it's pretty commonplace now to be on like the Xbox Twitter and see like Yakuza yeah, yeah, things like that. It, it makes yeah. sense because yes. you, you your your established fan base on the PlayStation platform will already get it. If you want to expand right. that, you partner with Microsoft because that's that's where all the new players are, your potential new players are. Same reason why you give it in English. Like, all right, we're gonna push it on another yeah. platform. We're gonna we're gonna pay extra attention to localizing it. If you make the assumption that you've kind of saturated your, your potential player base with your current efforts let's expand what can we do to get more players and well market it on a different platform and add an english dub and really make sure it's quality in terms of at least what they presented so far it seems like they're on the right track so yeah the case, the case has already made I, that like uh, this is going to be a solid game like from japanese feedback like uh it's well it's one of those things like the people who are already in it like will already it's, a, it's already a given that they're gonna pay up the money to get it I don't know if this was announced or not, or if it's even happening, but I'm curious. Is Yakuza 7 going to be part of Game Pass at launch? Because it feels like all of these like games that Microsoft is pushing is going to be part of Game Pass these days. And like so far, every Yakuza on Xbox is part of Game Pass. So I'm kind of curious. That's a good question. I actually don't know that. I don't, I don't know if they've announced stated. it yet. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think they've said anything about no. it. 
Uh, the most recent press release does not mention Game Pass. Yeah. I'm guessing it will end up on Game Pass. I just don't know if it'll be day one. Yeah. I was just curious because it's like. That's a good question. Yeah, since all the other Kiwamis are on there and all that. Speaking of Game Pass. Yeah, thanks uh, for the segue, James. Uh, <laughs> Japanese games on Watch. Xbox Game Pass. Uh, well, I know J- James set it up and then you uh, followed okay. it. Uh, so I haven't screwed up any of your names yet. But uh, Dragon <laughs> Quest Eleven S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition, previously Switch exclusive, was announced at the Xbox show coming to Xbox One and Game Pass, and then later announced through a publisher that it is coming to PS4 and PC. With a later caveat coming. Well, okay, uh, so the, the, let's back that up a little bit. The initial announcement was for a- Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and um, Windows, Windows 10. 10. Yeah, yeah. And then now the, there's PlayStation 4 and Steam after. Right. Yeah. And where do we even begin with this? So. Was it announced for Series X? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing about the, where Series X and Xbox One are kind of a weird. It's, it's weird because they're, they're in tandem because uh, the, the, you could technically say every Xbox One game that's being that's not is for quote unquote Series yeah, X. I guess. Uh, yeah, where uh, do we even I begin with this thing? I don't think it is coming out to Series X. I'm looking at the Square Enix press release right now, oh, okay. and it's, it's just Xbox One, PS4, and PC. Well, well I mean, if it has yeah. no, you're you're right. Yeah, 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 like a, like that's an important distinction. Like if it, they only announce for Xbox One, it'll still run on Series X, but it's, it doesn't. It won't have like. Series X enhancements, if there was any. So, yeah. My mistake. Uh, the weird situation with this game in particular, if it has an Xbox One X patch, which is 4K60, probably it wouldn't be that different on Series X anyways, because this is so fucking confusing. This isn't an upgrade on PC or PS4. It's not even the same game it's a port of the Switch version, which means that even on PC and PS4, if you get this, it's going to have worse graphics than the original Dragon Quest XI on PS4 and PC. So, it's I mean, just, the, 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 like, like, yeah, models-wise, draw distance-wise, yes, it'll still support... Extra the, different, know, lighting different, yeah. Yeah, it'll still, it'll still support, the, you know, your, your resolution. It'll still have higher frame rate in that respect if you're, if you're we're talking about enhancements to that. But in terms of, like, visuals, it'll... It was built for the Switch, so this is also why they announced as well that you cannot upgrade the base from the base version of Dragon Quest XI to XI S. You have to buy it all completely separately. There, there is no upgrade path like what they did for World of Final Fantasy to the Maxima Edition. You, you have to buy it separately. It's, again. it's listed as a forty dollars release. So yes, forty dollars release on December fourth. And yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer in that respect that they didn't really put in the work for that. Uh, you know, I I kind of get it on the like development side that it's been like you know kind of rough this year on trying to get that up and running. It, it is a bummer to hear that's like it's based off of the like the Switch visuals. So you're kind of having to make compromises once again, even though you'll still get like a better performance than what was on the Switch. You'll still have all the neat. You know, up, upgrades to it that came with the S version. You have like the turbo mode. You have the two um, D mode. Character stories, orchestrated soundtrack. Yeah, orchestrated soundtrack. And you well, know, some, the, people, the, some people, some people would argue that you could already mod that into the existing PC version. Well, it's a PC, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so like, it's one of those things. Like people have their own. Will we'll come to their own conclusion whether they think 
the trade-offs are worth it or not. It, it is it sucks that it is a trade-off, but at the same time, it is yeah. based off like it is based off the the version of the game that they built for the Switch. Going so, in, so. yeah. It's, so they the Switch version was was developed like independently from the original game, and then just upported to PC and Xbox and PS4. So you'll have those geomet- geometry differences, lighting differences. It's a bummer, so, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what you can really do about it. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. You know, when the rubber meets the road, like you know how this all comes together in the final releases on these platforms. And you know, and it's always great. Like either way, I wouldn't like discourage you from buying this game. I love Dragon Quest Eleven. Oh, oh yeah, oh. yeah. We should say uh, RPG site has given this game two ten out of tens, and it's like one <laughs> game of the year, I think, also or something. Like it, like it, like it cannot state enough. No, like I even you know it, it came it, it, it came uh second to monster hunter didn't it all right yeah <laughs> even, even if you just like even, even if this might be like uh, like slightly inferior like like visuals and geometry and draw distance and lighting wise like this is still a very good freaking game like amazing <laughs> how do you think this will uh be received on the steam user reviews <laughs> man I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll see what the modding work does. Like, I'm sure people will try to do some stuff to it on the PC side. They're on band aids or whatever. Yeah. Like something like a total conversion. So I'm not sure. I really yeah. don't know. I mean, I, I I don't know, but you know, like I said, it's even 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 with all those compromises, you're still getting like technically more content and at a lower price on this re-release of it. So, but it, I think it's cool. I think it uh, it coming to like a whole every other freaking platform is well deserved. It's such an incredible game. Isn't that the typical? We we started talking about like how we felt about the Xbox announcements in general, but I feel like that's kind of like the prototypical Xbox announcement these days, where we see well, it might be more widescreen than Xbox because we saw the same thing rhyming in the Nintendo Direct too, where we see a platform holder host the announcement for games like. Dragon Quest S's port or the Shin Megami Tensei 3 remaster. And then later we get from a publisher that, yeah, it's actually coming to more than that. Like it's coming to everything. Yeah. yeah. They're basically paying money. So, like, the platform for the, are for the stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll be the ones to announce it. So, like, because all eyes will be on this. So, yeah, that's just, that's just the state of marketing these days. <laughs> So then two the, seconds. The true, later, the true yeah, the true third party exclusive is a rare, rare breed. Hmm. Okay, you I, can we go. say I we say after talking it. about uh Shin Megami Tensei 5. <laughs> <laughs> so also we got two even though the Xbox uh showing wasn't stellar as a next gen showcase, there was actually a lot of RPGs to talk about, and two of them are from Obsidian. So we got a follow-up on the Outer Worlds DLC, which was kind of like unceremoniously announced in a like forum post on the Obsidian forums in like January that they were working on DLC. And we finally got details of it uh, in the Xbox showcase. The Outer Worlds Peril on Gorgon is basically kind of the typical story-based DLC content add-on for last year's release. So, Adam, you actually got to talk to a couple of developers about this game, so I'll let you maybe handle what you thought was interesting about what they showed about the Outer Worlds. Yeah, so, um, first of all, they re- they revealed that there's going to be there's going to be a total of two 
story expansions. That wasn't that wasn't specified before. So this is like the first of two. I actually think the second one got a name like Murder on Ariandos, which is another planet or something like that. But yeah, I got to speak with Carrie Patel, who is the game director of the DLC, and Matt Hansen, who is the art director um, for this DLC. And the thing is, I, one of the questions I asked them, I, I have an interview up on the site, was when did this DLC like first like materialize, you know, as a in development project at Obsidian? And they told me actually January 2019. So actually several months before the game released, they that's when they started nailing down like this is content that we want to have as kind of extra post-release content. They didn't, at that point, it was still prototypical and they didn't have everything nailed down, but that's part of when the, con- the, when the concept started arising and um, what they wanted to do uh, for extra storylines in the game. And so just a brief overview of the storyline here is that there is some uh, research facility on this asteroid where things have gone horribly awry. And once you get there, there's there's scant NPCs available. You have to sort of piece together what exactly happened. And then there's some conflict you have to solve at that point. They uh, Matt Hansen told me that the inspiration for this, actually, they both told me it were things like the Manhattan Project, as well as the uh, HBO series Chernobyl. So that's kind of the, uh, the kind of on a high level, the, the sort of themes they wanted to talk about in terms of like, the sort of research that goes awry and having how big egos can can be detrimental to what might have been a good cause at one point in one viewpoint and things like that. Um, it's it's got a lot of mechanical upgrades too in terms of new new weapons, new armor, new perks, a new level cap. So yeah, if you have the DLC, um, you can your character will be able to get even more capable and uh, have be able to get more more stat points in your various skills and whatnot um so it seems like it's the outer worlds kind of feels like it was sort of built for this in terms of how it's how it was set up in terms of the different planets you go to and they're sort of segmented but all contributing to the larger storyline of this halcyon galaxy area so it's kind of it it feels like this it was a sort of game that a an additional storyline being added later it would slot in pretty easily. Right. It seems like I feel like it's kind of the expected route for an expansion to this game. And just to be honest, I'm having a hard time like getting excited for it. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like same. I had my I had my fill of the Outer Worlds. I don't... So you tell me that the level cap ex- expanded, and it's like, well, I already felt like I was just crushing everything in my path. Yeah. I don't know. But... Oh, and I mean, then we, we talked about the original game. Sorry, George. Um... Actually, you go ahead, George, since you're the one that actually reviewed the original game for us. Yeah, like, I did. I've, as I've said before, I really enjoyed the Outer Worlds. I, I thought that released last year, right? Like, that was 2019. Yeah, 2019 feels like it was 10 years ago. Okay, because uh, I, I was just like, I'm, I'd consider it as one of my picks for Game of the Year. And I was like, wait, no, I, I, I think that was last year. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad it's getting more content. But to be honest, like the things that I didn't like about the Outer Worlds and would want to be improved, I think can only be done with a sequel. I think it would need like a bigger, like rather than like little individual improvements here and there and bigger le- level cap. I feel like I'd rather just have a few years away from it and then oh look, Outer Worlds too, like massive improvement. Like I'll, I'll probably give it a shot. Uh, 
but I can't say I'm like super excited for it. I do agree that it, I think I feel like a lot of the outer world shortcomings were more systemic in terms of the consumables. I felt like were very pointless. The combat is unbalanced uh, in terms of your perks. You you end up just I I had a build in mind in terms of perks. And like I, I actually told myself when I was playing through the Outer Worlds based game that I was not going to be good at combat. I was going to focus on persuasion and sneaking and those sorts of things. But then eventually you kind of like cap those out and then I start specking into combat anyway and I still didn't really have a hard time at any significant point in the game. Like It just feels like it's a very breezy game in terms of difficulty. And And I'm not saying the game has to be easy, but I feel like the perks and the skill building and having a character designed around a theme such as you know a smuggler or you want to make someone who's like not supposed to be adept at this sort of thing and then you end up being good at it anyway it makes you feel like that sort of choice is pointless like anyone can just do anything anyway regardless of what buttons you press on your level up screen and that's the sort of stuff that can't be fixed in just adding stuff to it like i'll probably play through this i'll, I'll log into my like or log in as it's not an online game really but I'll I'll load up my save, figure out where I was. I assume this game will be this expansion will be ten ish hours long because that's just I I don't expect to be surprised by this. I guess that's why I'm not really excited for it. Yeah, I'd agree. I hate to like poo poo on the fact that Adam got to interview the developers, but I'm just kind of trying to be honest with myself. Like, yeah, I guess added the the freaking game. I'm so, no, just kidding. <laughs> to try to be to like, try I'm to sure be more. Be uh, Go ahead, James. I'm sure it'll be perfectly fine, and like, I'm sure I'd even enjoy it if I played it. But I don't know. There's just you in the Outer Worlds, like itself. It was a good game, but it felt very derivative of a bunch of the games that Obsidian has made in the past. Obviously, specifically like Fallout New Vegas and that sort of thing. So there's several degrees of separation from this DLC really being something exciting and new, at least in my opinion. Like, Outer Worlds was fun for what it was, and again, I'm sure the DLC would be great, but it's kind of funny saying, oh, I'm not really interested in really playing this when there's not too much else coming out this year. So. Well, I, okay, like, uh, to contextualize this, it's, I, I feel like I'm getting the overwhelming sentiment. Like, it's hard to be like excited about this because there's a bigger thing that obsidian is working on and that looks pretty cool yeah the, the last statement i'll say on the outer world before moving on is that this game like adam the two people that adam interviewed carrie patel and matt hansen those names aren't tim kane and leonard boyarski so i do think it's cool that a project like this can exist to give developers like specific people uh management leadership director type roles and have a project under their name i think that's just good for a development studio so in that case it'll be interesting to see how those two people's voices and their passion and conviction for like their work how if it ends up feeling different than the base game so i think it'll be cool to see you know this this property that they released last year here's a couple other developers take on what they can do in that world so if there's anything i'm really eager to see I'll see if it feels different from that respect because we do have that interview up. So uh, we can see a little bit about like the, the uh, inspiration behind the DLC and what they're kind of shooting for. So it'll be interesting to see if that comes through in the final product. And this is coming out uh, September. What was the date? One second. September 9th for PC 
via the Epic Game Store, PS4, and Xbox. Did it? And then, oh, there's not there's not coming to Switch. Uh, it'll probably come. It'll probably come later, kind of like the base game did. Yeah, just Switch games coming later since Obsidian doesn't actually develop that version. Oh, right. But it is okay. coming. So. And then the other game that Obsidian announced with a very short teaser is Avowed, which is a first-person RPG, just like The Outer Worlds, and it takes place in Aora, which is the world of the Pillars of Eternity games, which I think are great you should play. Uh, and it's very much kind of got that Skyrim vibe. And I know, I feel, I wonder if Obsidian ever gets like frustrated that everyone immediately compares their game to some other Western RPG studio game, whether it's Fallout or whether it's like Mass Effect or whatever. But the fact that he's wielding a weapon, so this <laughs> teaser, this teaser starts out with like an arrow flying through the air and ends up like landing in a, in a skeleton, I believe. And then, okay, I I, lo- I love this part of the trailer, like of the arrow of the camera following the arrow, because it reminds me of my friend's fascination. For like half an hour straight of just playing this one part of Heavenly Sword on PS3 of like where you can like zoom into like the arrow or anything you throw in that game. And he was just, just fascinated, just did that for like half an hour straight. That's all he did. But the, 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 the teaser ends with as if it's a CG teaser, but it ends as if it's gameplay. Like it's not it's not deliberately trying to pass itself off as gameplay, but it shows like the first person's perspective. He's got a weapon in his right hand and like starts casting magic in his left. Very evocative of Skyrim. And he says um, Fusroda. <laughs> not quite, but uh, it's very clear that that's kind of what they're going for. Like we are, we are now in the realm where we are going to be making a kind of high fantasy first-person RPG in the vein of something like Skyrim. And so people have already kind of been like, Obsidian's making a Skyrim killer, and <laughs> I, I hope I hope we can kind of like move away from that because, I, in my opinion, I thought that the Outer Worlds was inundated with fallout comparisons and i really fallout don't think that they were, i really don't think that outside of a very surface level that it really played much like fallout at all is I, I felt it played more like a first person mass effect if anything the fact that it was more hub based and less open world freedom things like that so we don't really know much about how this game will will it feel like skyrim on more than a fact that it's a first person western rpg we don't really know yet um, it's a D&D killer. That's what it is. Now, Microsoft showed at the uh, Xbox thing. It's just way too soon to tell. Way too soon to yeah. tell. Big problem with Microsoft things. Like, a CG, like it, the idea of it is cool, but it's still just a CG trailer. Like, I, I can't get too excited for that. Like, yeah. I, I love the idea of Obsidian doing, like, again, we're saying, like, Skyrim killer. Like, anything like that is awesome like seeing obsidian do that is cool but like we haven't seen any gameplay yet we don't know anything about it really i think that this is kind of the most we could have ever really realistically expected though because obviously they just shipped outer worlds last year and they still have a team working on it they also do have grounded which is not really their typical like in their normal wheelhouse and little style game they make but that's going on early access like next week so this is their first real title purely published under microsoft yeah this and is exciting because it's it's like specifically listed for xbox series x and windows 10 only They'd like a lot of the xbox presentation like showcase that like they're kind of walking back that uh statement that uh phil spencer released a few months back saying that like oh like you know we're developing like all like like the first two years of xbox series x that'll also work on xbox one 
and they they kind of walked that back a fair bit during the Xbox presentation of like the new that's, Forza. That's actually a that's actually a good tangent that we should probably discuss on. Uh, that Phil Spencer, oh, leading up to this, said some words about how most, if not all, of the Xbox presentation will be cross-gen. And then apparently this game, as well as a few others, were originally listed as Xbox One titles, but then websites were updated where that was scrubbed out. And I haven't really kept on top of that. It has been really muddled messaging about... Yeah, I I rewatched the presentation uh, through Digital Foundry's uh, analysis, and they had like all the updated like press asset trailers on there. So they all look really, really nice, but they, they they had like all the updated like logos at the end of those games that weren't present like in like live stream like if they were like unupdated whatnot but yeah uh, like a few of those games like like uh avowed here was specifically for xbox series x and windows 10 and that's really exciting to like see obsidian tackle like what does the next generation of rpgs look like when they're built from the ground up for next gen tech like with the uh, just this... the, like a, like not even like just saying like visual presentation but like fast access now with like uh these N- nvme ssds like for for Xbox and whatnot, like what does that entail for like core game structure? Now that this, you have fast access to memory, this isn't really important in the big scheme of things. But what was weird about the Avowed thing was their website did say Xbox One on it for a while, and that didn't seem right. It's like, wait, this game looks like it's more than two years away, and it's still coming to Xbox One. Like, no, it's not. They removed it, <laughs> so it is. Yeah, it's, it's muddy. Next yeah. gen. Yeah. Yes. And that's and then- that's exciting. Did they did they specifically announce that this was a took place before the events of Pillars of Eternity? Do you remember, Adam? I think they just said in the in that world. They didn't say either way. It could be a direct sequel. It could be thousands of years before or after. We don't know. Because obviously, uh, also, go ahead, George. This is going to be sort of tangential, but if we're talking about Obsidian, then like we should also say that Grounded trailer was pretty awesome as well. Like, I'm really excited to see what they do with that. Yeah, I feel like I, grounded. Yeah. Grounded has gotten some. I'm not going to say a ton, but some positive buzz. I think people are kind of appreciating it for what it is, and especially since we've got other Obsidian things to look for. It's not like it's taking the place of oh, they're making this instead of another. No, they're making both. I, they're making both. I, I think. I think the most interesting thing for me out of about grounded, besides like the, the honey I shrunk the kids premise and kind of with the deadly creatures esque like vibe to it. Um, that I, one thing I really appreciate, because I have several friends that do have like arachnophobia, and they do have an arachnophobia mode in Grounded where they'll replace spiders with, I don't know what they're going to replace it with, but they're giving the option of like, hey, you know, you can still play this game even if you have that. Like, I really wish that like, you know, more games kind of put that into consideration because I do have, you know, friends that do really have a big fear of spiders. And it's just not like something that they can control, you know? Yeah, so, so do I. <laughs> like, like yeah. realistically. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna have to play it like that because I, I saw gameplay of it, mm-hmm. and like they're, they're they're pretty freaky. Like yeah, oh yeah, especially, especially, especially when it's like a hun- especially when it's like a honey I shrunk the kids. Like they're they're like bigger or like about the same size as you. It's like oh oh no, you know. I so. thought the Obsidian trailer they were kind of cheeky, and maybe not everyone liked it, but I kind of did. Uh, they sort of said oh, two oh. different. They kind of said two different, like almost self depreciating jokes, which I appreciate self depreciating jokes. Uh, in that, like, if you're waiting for the biggest game of the year, wait for Cyberpunk. But <laughs> I actually, I actually thought it. Was, I actually thought the one that was a little bit more amusing to me was like from the developers of a studio that makes games that are nothing like this. Sort of yeah. joking, mm-hmm. joking that Obsidian yeah. normally does RPGs, and this is not that. Yeah, I just thought that was it. Was kind of this sort of self-aware humor that, like, it's kind of 
kind of uh, acknowledging like, yeah, we're doing something different because we want to do something different. Mm -hmm. And that's cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how that game like turns out. And that's going to be early access like next week. So I I want to hear what people think about that game. I'm not sure yet uh, if I'll get in on it, but because I'm, I'm always iffy about early access stuff. But I wanna, if, it, if it works, then fantastic. You know, it has a really interesting premise. But I do think it's cool that this game kind of gave me an excuse to like brush up on my Pillars of Eternity stuff. And Pillars of Eternity is just a style of game it is was never going to have a huge audience. And in fact, the second game, unfortunately, kind of flopped. But mm. they're kind of throwing people who really did like those games. They bone by saying, hey, this is in the same universe. So in a sense, like your investment has paid off. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like they're working on another game in the same style, but they're doing the next best thing. So, but my guess is that it'll be set like way in the distant future, way in the distant past, so that it doesn't feel like I got to play these isometric games in order to fully understand this. Like, I highly, highly doubt that that'll have any really tangible ties to the existing game outside of like the lore itself. Kind of speak, stepping back a bit, Obsidian seems to have like quite a bit on their plate. Like, they have teams working on Outer Worlds DLC, they have a team working on Grounded, They're, they have you know pre production for this avowed game and then like i know uh jay sawyer josh sawyer what's his name sawyer <laughs> um said he's not yeah, working on any of those right <laughs> so like he's doing something different and he's a pillars of eternity guy but like the city and yeah. i was kind of downsized a bit and but it seems like they're working on quite a few things so just being kind of following up on what you said there so josh sawyer was the creative director of the pillars of eternity games he basically invented aora but he's not involved in Avowed except in like an overhead capacity, which is an interesting little dynamic. Imagine like creating something and then having to hand it off to like the rest of your team and then not really being involved in it. But I think he, he more specifically wants to work on something more smaller and, and inventive. And then the grounded yeah. team's only like 10 people or 11 people. It's not a huge undertaking, but still a really passionate group working on that. Here's my, here, here's my guess. He's, he's working on Pillars of Eternity 3. But you can take your Pillars of Eternity 3 character and you can put it in Avowed. It's two separate universes and they're all going to be the, run simultaneously. That would actually be... Hmm, cool. That sounds I mean, very that, familiar. That sounds that, very familiar. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I'll take the segue that uh, Josh so brilliantly uh, laid for us. So Fantasy Star Online 2 was at the Xbox uh, showcase. I see. But I not the PSO 2 that we... I'm, I'm going to call a spade a spade. Uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis was announced at the Xbox showcase, and it's basically Fantasy Star Online 3. They're just keeping the PSO2 branding, and regular PSO2 is still going to be playable, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so imagine, I guess the best way we can put this is like, imagine if they're like, if this was Fantasy Star Online of Realm Reborn, but the previous version was never like nuked. Yeah. Like yeah. they're just they're just ran simultaneously. So that, so this was really this was really muddy in the showcase. Like it took like hours and hours until, uh, like maybe like twelve or thirteen hours later, like they finally put up a follow up video of what this is. Fantasy Star Online Two: New Genesis is essentially a brand new game that is like a, an open world action MMO, but it will coexist in tandem with Fantasy Star Online Two. So you can bring your character into a new genesis but they won't be leveled up or anything so it'll just be basically a new character 
in New Genesis. Yeah, it's like it's like you're basically just transferring over like your name and appearance, but not your level, not your class. A couple skills, but they might work differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. So now I, and- I swear on the tip of my tongue, I can think of another online game that released like a side sequel where both games existed in parallel for a bit, but I can't think of what it was. I swear I've seen this sort of setup before where. I think it might be like Lineage, where they announced Lineage 2, but then Lineage 1 still ended up like having more players for the longest time. Like the, the two games were still like very much in parallel, maybe until this date. I haven't really kept up. I, I, I'm thinking of like Terra Battle and Terra Battle 2, because they were both kept up simultaneously uh, yeah. as well. I feel, uh, like, I feel just, like the only reason, well, it's a little bit muddled, because if it, there's one thing that's making me... Like, normally I'd say, oh, the only reason PSO2 is still going to be online is that they want to have a transition period so New Genesis can, like, build up content before they axe the original. But then information came out that not only is PSO2 going to stay online, but it's also going to be updated to the new graphics engine. Yeah, yeah. So it's so so bizarre. Okay, so I'm getting from the trailer, like, PSO2 and PSO2 New Genesis, they're we're sharing between universes the character growth will not carry over this includes levels experience skills photon arts techniques currency affecting the game economy will not carry over this includes Pesetta, fun well, makes, they don't want people who have put hundreds yeah. and hundreds of hours immediately walk in and be yeah. billionaires it's a new game that makes yeah. sense. i i don't know what the uh, acronyms ac and sg are but they're shared between Earth both cash players. and uh there, there, there are two forms of premium currency. One is entirely cash only, like you have to pay for AC. And then SG, you can either pay for or earn in game. Okay, so they're shared between two both games. Currency, yeah. And then they said weapons, units, and mags obtained in PSO2 can be used in PSO2 New Genesis as well. However, their functions, abilities, and appearances will temporarily change. So they have it, kind of like this pathway carry over where they're carrying over anything they seem like they can without trying to give people an unfair advantage go ahead james it feels like mostly just cosmetic stuff is yeah um, crossing over but we don't know if every cosmetic is going to be available in new genesis or whatnot it's it's just really weird i think because they're doing such a big change with this they kind of want to hedge their bets on the off chance that new genesis doesn't get received well by the player base but I, I feel like if it does get received well, even though PSO2 is can like getting the graphics update, I don't think unless New Genesis bombs, it's going to continue to be like the original PSO2 is going to continue to be supported. I feel like it's simply a case of they know they're making some pretty drastic changes to the formula. It could go either way. If it ends up succeeding, then this is essentially PSO3. If not, they're just going to call it a spinoff. Well, my guess is that they'll keep like a minimum live team on it and then just keep the servers up and let it be like an automated thing. The example I'm going to go to is Guild Wars 1 and Guild Wars 2. Guild Wars 1 doesn't see content updates anymore, but the team there has kept that game online and you can play it even now, 15 years later, even though the sequel has been out for eight years. Um, It just doesn't get content updates. I'm guessing that's what you'll see here. So... What do you think of my read, uh, Josh? Because, well, I mean, it's anyone's guess at this point. We we re- literally don't know how this is going to hold. Like, this is a new game. Mm-hmm. You could call it PSO3 or PSO22 if you want to be, like, specific because it takes I'm place really in the surprised same that you haven't invoked the PSO2 or Realm Reborn 
comparison. <laughs> well, the difference is, is that Final Fantasy XIV 1.0 was actually shit. Oh, yeah. That's that. <laughs> and 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 you can no longer play it as it was. Yeah. yeah so I this is this is this, this the, the trailer strikes me like all sorts of weird. Like it looks really cool, but it really is kind of hitting on those. It's it's really evoking that Xenoblade X vibe. On oh yeah, too. I saw that. I'm like, like fuck. <laughs> I'm excited to play this. I, oh, I yeah, really I want to play this. It. Yeah, it's absolutely. just like I said. I feel like if it succeeds, this is PSO three. If not, they're just going to drop it. So I'm curious so, to see how it gets received. So let, let let's clarify. In Japan, this is coming out the PS4 Switch via the cloud streaming uh, service that they have for PSO two and PC. So any anything. Anything PSO2 is out of out on in Japan besides Vita, which is no longer supported, I think. As of uh, September, it won't be supported, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like, so when they axed Vita support, or they announced the axing of Vita support, they specifically said that the reason they were cutting it is because they wanted to upgrade the game systems and the engine so that they could have a wider scope of uh, content in the game. Which was a bit weird because at the same time it sounded like support for PSO2 in general was ramping down, but now obviously with New Genesis it makes a lot more sense. So it seems like they've just specifically ported, they've made a new engine, they've backported it to PSO2 so the graphics are better, but it really feels like, assuming everything goes well, the new focus is going to be New Genesis. <laughs> And then in the West, Eugenesis is coming to Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Windows 10. And then they specifically mentioned a blog post that if P- if the base PSO2 gets you know comes to other platforms that they have yet to be announced, if they're going to announce any, then Eugenesis will also come to those platforms. So it'll be on Steam because we know that there's that PSO2 is coming to other Windows platforms. So. I, yeah, I I really want to get back into PSO2, but I want I want it to be through a service or a platform that won't break on me. Yeah, this, this, is, why, it... this, this is why I uninstalled PSO2 because you know I went through a big big headache with it on Windows the Windows 10 store. So if that gets the best a Steam part release, about PSO2 is that when you stop playing, you don't have to uninstall it. It'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah. it, um, it'll, it'll either uninstall itself or or install itself again. You just don't know. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, roll the dice. Um, yeah, I'm. So, I think once I get caught up with uh, Final Fantasy 5.3, I might actually start playing PSO2 a bit on Xbox. I am not touching the Windows Store version with the ten foot pole. Once it comes out on Steam, I'll play it on PC. But until then, no. Yeah. So no. I mean, and then also, and also, like, uh, the, like right now, Sega's plans for the overseas version of PSO2 is they intend to get every episode out this year. Right, like episode four is August, five is October. It's crazy. I, like, that's that's really wonder, uh, I do have to wonder if the reason why the localization for PSO2 itself seems a little bit sloppy is because they knew that New Genesis, they must have known that New Genesis oh, yeah, of was course. coming they, in. Yes. And they figured it's more important to just have it there in English, like the original story, just so people can play it and then focus with new genesis yeah like, i think new genesis people. will be the focus in the bus they really want people to for this just probably... rushing through the content now and maybe they'll go back and patch things up hopefully because it really is like most of sega's localizations these days are like the best in the industry so it's kind of a, it's kind of a shame that pso2 is kind of a bit of a blemish so far 
I wouldn't call it slapdash, but it's just not, it doesn't have that same degree of polish that like Yakuza has. So. It's all, yeah, it's also just contextualizing as well. It's like, this is localization for an eight year old game. Oh, totally, totally. So. I will say someone who has somehow put like 150 hours in PSO2 ever since its English launch, um, the game does seem like very much alive. There are a ton of people playing it. It seems like it's been a successful partnership between Sega and whatever hand Microsoft has in it. So I think they gotta have like high hopes for, or I would I would venture to guess that they have high hopes for New Genesis. I'm I'm okay with more PSO, man. I'm uh, I just want to play. I want to play PSO, but I want PSO to work on me as well. <laughs> uh, I you do don't, you don't want to hold a hard drive hostage. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's my, here's my, here's the tenth hard drive for my PSO install. Hell yeah. Oh god damn! It. I just realized I can't play PSO two on Xbox because my Game Pass Ultimate ran out, so I only have Game Pass for PC now. No Xbox Live Gold. Well. Uh... <sighs> Do you have an extra hard drive? <laughs> For what it's worth, I have, I have had I have had some luck running the fan client PSO2 tweaker. Yeah. Do you so, think do you think there's gonna be a tweaker it's, it's for a, New Genesis? I don't know for certain, but I will say that I don't know who is behind that really. But they seem like really they have like their own Discord channel, they have like pretty frequent updates to their tweaker itself. My guess is I that those that those people are crazy in a good way my my <laughs> guess is that they'll they'll do what they can for new genesis my i'm guessing they're all on board for whatever way well new genesis hopefully won't have the same problems as pso2 because yeah. from what i understand yeah. the main reason why pso2 is such a problem on the windows store is like the intersection of a 32-bit like eight-year-old windows app and the windows store which is very much built for 64-bit non-Windows 32 apps, and it's just an unholy conglomeration where everything just falls apart at the seams. They should so. have just had. You said it had like a instead of like launching on the Windows Store, just have like its own on the official websites. Like here, just get the client, dude. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Oh well, but that's yeah. that, that's 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 awesome news. That's exciting. I, I want to try out New Genesis. It looks really good. Um, and the last announcement gets out due to my like one of my numerous hard drives. Yeah. So the last RPG related announcement. So we had kind of two semi lackluster platform showings, which ended up being very RPG heavy in both the Nintendo Mini and then this Xbox showing. Last showing of this Xbox was another cinematic trailer for a series called Fable, which didn't show Yay! very much. So uh I don't know if you're the person to talk about this, George. Uh, have you played the other Fable games? I have not, unfortunately. This is something I feel like I'd wish Alex was here because he would talk for days about this. But yeah, I am. Um, I've played. I missed out the original Fable because I, I was like, "Oh man, Forgotten Chapters are so good, though." <laughs> it, like, like I've heard it's good. Uh, I love it. I always meant to play that remaster that they did, but I, I've never got around to it. But I adore Fable Two. Uh, so many hours put into that game when I was growing up, and contrary to the opinion that Fable Three isn't very good, I thought it was excellent. Like, I I haven't like openly expressed wanting a new Fable game just because I only recently got got an Xbox One again. But like, I'm really happy that they're doing this. Uh, sucks that this is just another vague CG trailer that just confirms that they kind of get the British. It's very much. Tone. 
it's, 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 it's like the, in the worst uh, kept secret in, uh, in the yeah. industry in the last like five yeah. years. It's barely like, more than what we got for Elder Scrolls Six. We like, don't even know this is Albion. Like, it, 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 I don't know. Like, it's exciting. Like, it was, it was like a little teaser with the logo kind of... with no release window. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's 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 the one of the more curious things. It's like it's the it's from the studio that makes Forza Horizon games. Do you know yeah. them for Forza Horizon? What the hell does an RPG look like from this studio? So, the... this is going to sound stupid, but one of the things that I'm really happy about playground games are British based, <laughs> I believe. So, like, like Fable isn't what well, no Fable is intrinsically British. Like, I think it is. If you do play it, there's a it is a lot of British humor, and I'm just glad that that carries on. Mm -hmm. It's a shame that Lion aren't involved because like, wait, Lion George, are you British? I'm British, <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, like I I'm very excited for this. I will be more excited when we actually see it. Yeah. but it's good to know it exists. If, they, if there's one thing at least that like is reliable about play playground games is like they're really good at supporting their games post launch. They're very good about like you know. Get it like well, like updating the Forza Horizon games, like interesting events, uh, post launch, and like just supporting like you know, like weird content, like the Lego collaboration in Forza Horizon. Uh, like, uh, that's a that's a good segue to uh, the rumors that this is an MMO. Yeah, so I, I, I wonder, I wonder what that means, right? Because MMO can take like different forms. These days. it's not like your standard World of Warcraft stuff. Like it could be like you know games as a service, but you know I can see Fable going in that direction. Like a hub-based Destiny, like maybe, like maybe, like maybe Destiny, yeah, because that's technically MMO. Well, I could, I could, I could see that happening, but from what we've heard about it, like this has been leaked years and years and years ago. Um, well, that might be a bit dramatic, but it, it, it's been known for a while, and it's like supposed to be first-person, uh, like really, really open world. So, like maybe. Yeah, who knows? I don't. I don't know how you'd feel about it going first person. Like, I, I like Fable being third person, but I can. Uh, oh. That's apparently where, where it's going. Uh, that's that's a rumor from years yeah. ago, though. Like, yeah, that's an changes. old rumor. Yeah, I, I also heard an old rumor. It's like it's be a grim dark remake or reboot or whatever. It's like, yes, yeah. yeah, doesn't look like that. So you know, I'm glad. Yeah. Has anyone else actually played Fable, or is it just me? I've I've played Fable one, the Forgotten Chapters, a bit of two. I didn't play three. Oh, that's so good. Oh, it, I played it a tiny me, bit of one, and I totally forgot what it was. It made me want to go back and play two and three and try one. So, like, for for the people who... Well, I, I, I think that this is, like, a really, really big deal later down the line. Because, like, right now, no release window, no... Real yeah, we'll, we'll reconvene yeah, in 2022. Yeah. And also, just to re or I don't know if we've iterated yet, but there's a Xbox Series X and Windows 10, so it's next gen exclusive. Yeah, so so much. Uh, that. that was going to be one of my questions. Uh, so it's not Xbox One no. at all. No, it, it, it is. It is Game Pass though. That's that's good in the sense that it means it's going to be hopefully more powerful and like not push the xbox one to blowing up but like this is just another problem with the messaging of next gen like i have no idea going into either the ps5 or the xbox series x like what is exclusive what is backwards compatible like what is okay, so, yeah yeah this is the weird thing like sony kind of has this down on messaging of like playstation 5 is a generational leap from playstation 4 you want playstation games 
go to PlayStation 5. It's the same shit, you know? It's like, it's your typical console, next-gen console generation messaging. So yes, we understand that. Microsoft is being a bit more murky on this because they're like they're being more inclusive, but they're muddying their message along the way because like Xbox Series X is like, okay, this is a new console, but all of our games are coming out to PC as well. And also like some are coming to Game Pass and also some of these are cross-gen games. And also like, so they're not really, like this Xbox game showcase like was not making a great like case of like why you should get a Series X essentially. Like they're just like if you want to upgrade, upgrade. I guess like, you know, and their and their clarification games, wasn't that great either. They end up yeah. saying, uh, "Well, they're developed for Series X first in mind." It's like, well, well, and and also like first, they're, they're, that's and, not the same. And they're, and they're saying like you know like the Halo Infinite footage they showed off that's still running on a PC. Like it's it's still and we're only mere months away from these console launches, and so people still don't have a great idea of like how does this just run on the console itself? How does this run on? the console that you're trying to sell me. You know, you still haven't showed me that. And then I think Xbox kind of painted themselves in a weird corner where they initially went in with all this, well, we're going to support the Xbox One for the first year or two of the Xbox Series X. Everything is cross-gen. And then people say like, well, does that mean the games have to be developed for that base Xbox One in mind? How is that going to, like, that's, then they criticize them for that. Like, is that going to hold things back, quote unquote? And they say, well, no, no, no. Some things will be Xbox Series X exclusive. And they said, well, now you're going back on your word. Now you're just like a used car salesman saying whatever you want to say yeah, to get the best buzz. It's just really bad. Like yeah, now it, they can't go weird. either way without being criticized legitimately. It feels, feel. it feels that a, it definitely feels like a bunch of games that were going to be cross-gen at this Xbox thing were had cross-gen axed after yeah. the response to Phil Spencer's yeah. comments. Because, like, we've known about Fable for a while, and clearly it's been in development on Xbox One One for a, for a cool minute. It's just now it seems like it's PC and Series X only. So um, I think, I so think that's a good point. So basically, it seems like, this is speculation we don't know for certain, but it seems like they would rather have the criticism based on their messaging rather than have cross-gen games be criticized for being cross-gen games you know especially if they're as far out as fable seems like it's going to if it lands in 2023 or whatever 2024 yeah, still we're, we're still one, one thing that i feel like is worth mentioning is that from a development standpoint having to support like not even just like having to support xbox one well if you force your developers to develop games on with Xbox One as base, that's five platforms that they have to focus on, assuming Lockhart is actually a thing. There's Xbox One, Xbox One X, Lockhart, Series X, and PC. So it's like, it makes sense that something was going to have to give, because like having to support five different platforms with every release for the first two years? No. no. I mean, like, just look at the state that Halo Infinite's in. And it's like, obviously it's rushed. It's not having a great time. And it's just like any developer that's going to have to support five different SKUs is going to have issues like that. And I think internally they've realized, okay, no, something has to give. We need to, we need to cut some of that support back. See, yeah. I, I walked away. Well, I didn't literally walk away. I came away from the microsoft conference going okay so they've promised me some stuff is coming in the future halo infinite my opinion looks really enjoyable but i can just play that on my xbox one now 
Whereas with the PlayStation event, like if I want to play Spider-Man Miles Morales, like I have to get a PS5 and I do really want to play that. So I have to get a PS5. Like Xbox has some amazing, like the game pass is amazing, like value. And they've got some really exciting stuff, but like, I don't need a series X. So that's the thing, right? Like they made the case that like, cool, like you're going to get some good shit on game pass, but they didn't make the case for series X. Like it seems like, 80% 80% of what you actually want to play is on Game Pass. Uh, like, And not really like you don't have to rush out and buy yeah. a Series X. But you, but you could argue for them that that's, that's all they want. If, you're, if you, they, they get you in the Game Pass, then that's... I would, ass- I would assume they want... I would assume they want Series X sales as well. Right, yeah. <laughs> then I've kind of started... Like, I actually really enjoy what Microsoft's doing in a very broad sense, even though I think... The, they're still they're still like in the wind up phase, as evident by how far out some of these games seem. Like I've enjoyed the Xbox integration on PC, despite the quirks and the issues. I think it's promising, but I've kind of treated them just like a third party developer that happens to also create a platform, like a little like a console specifically. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I've played like Age of Empires on my PC, and even though even though Outer Worlds is kind of in this weird hybrid zone because it started before the acquisition. I played that through Game Pass and I, I'm planning on playing I played a little bit of Halo through Game Pass and I'm planning mm-hmm. on probably playing Avowed in Game Pass. Yeah, I mean like Game on, Pass on is PC. Like the, the best freaking thing that they've they, they've made, like, you know, like in just in, in terms of like whoever's like trying to reach for the quote unquote Netflix of games, like they're the most successful and they're and they have like the the financial capability to to up, with, uh, uphold that. So I don't really think of Microsoft as any different from like Square Enix or Sega. Like I just think of them as another publisher yeah. that created some awesome games that I that I want to play. But if I end up getting a Series X, it'll be completely like superfluous. It'll just be, be because I want to, not because I feel yeah. like not not because I feel it, it it'd almost be kind of just like experimental, why not, rather than yeah. really feel like an investment. It'll feel more like superfluous. As yeah. one of the idiots who just bought a xbox one x literally like two months ago like i feel like an idiot like <laughs> that, that was a stupid purchase anyway but now that's well, they discontinu- um they actually yeah they discontinued it so you actually if you wanted to have one just to have one you actually probably came in at a good time oh yeah you know a lot of my collectibles you can yeah. sell for like thirty thousand dollars in like 20 years for collectibles. <laughs> so. just keep it in good out. condition yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I think that wraps up the Xbox game showcase. Yeah, I'm most excited Ooh. for Avowed, even though I know it's really far out. I'll I, I really play like through. I would literally die for Psychonauts 2, but that, that's not an RPG. But I, I, I've, I've said I love it. I'm looking forward to Balan Wonderworld. I think that looks really cool. Oh yeah, that looks awesome, doesn't it? That was really yeah. cool. Have either of you guys played Yuji Naka's previous three platformer, uh, Rodea Sky Soldier? Yeah, uh, yeah, I really like Rodeo Sky Soldier. The Wii version, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah, if you're get, um, anyone listening to this that maybe is interested in Yuji Naka's other projects that aren't a uh, Blue Hedgehog, um, Rodeo Sky Soldier came out on Wii, uh, and it was bundled in with the Wii U version. And uh, basically, don't touch the Wii U or 3DS versions. They're garbage. Play the Wii version. It's actually good. It's more colorful. It controls better. It's way more interesting to play. Just like knock himself even says, play the Wii version. Yeah. So it was a weird release back in the day. I actually did not know that that was one of his works. 
So we, there's a few other news, and I, I'm not even going to pretend to know like when these exactly all dropped, uh, but a couple little tertiary things outside of the big platform events. Uh, we got news about the sales numbers on Persona 5 Royal. It has sold a total of 1.4 million units. The whole series has surpassed 13 million. Uh, we were hoping maybe to get some scramble information for because it hasn't been announced even for a Western localization, but we're still waiting on that. Persona 4 Golden on Steam has sold 500,000 copies. So just some yeah. sales milestones from Atlas. They're <laughs> maybe, kicking ass. Maybe, maybe Atlas gets the message now, maybe. Who knows? Yet, uh, you know, the Nocturne remaster is not coming to PC, so who knows what was Nocturne on PC. Do it. <laughs> Do it. No, what do you... Come on. Uh, I don't know if there's really anything else. Like, you can... We have, a, we have all the sales numbers as announced from Atlas on the website about... The breakdown about uh where persona 5 was the last time they gave an update in december etc cetera, etc cetera. but they're kicking ass numbers are keep going up i don't know if there's any more nuance to really say on this but <laughs> persona 5 royal has done really well also one of our um persona 5 and persona 5 royal is another one of our dual 10 out of 10s so lots of high accolades being talked about on the podcast today in terms of RPG site critical acclaim. I say as I have not played Persona 5, I've only played Persona 4. It's okay. Aaron, maybe maybe wait for if, Persona if, 5 Royal it, PC yeah. release. Yeah, yeah, yeah if it like, comes to now, PC. Now he has an excuse since yeah. Persona's on PC now and it's, a, and it's a success. So it's only a matter of time, even if it takes another like five, ten years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, how how many years was it for uh Golden eight between the original release and PC, so I'll I'll yeah. see you all at, when yeah. I'm nearing my fortieth birthday. You're fine. There we go. Oh man, <laughs> go on. Here's another one that uh, I'm guessing Josh will have plenty to say about. We got a delay announcement for Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim, the next title from Vanillaware, developers of Dragon's Crown. But they did announce that along with the two week delay to September twenty second that the English voiceover will come on day one rather than being a patch down the, down the road. So some good yeah. and some bad about this release coming in September. Speaking of aged, uh, this will be, this will hit on my 30th birthday. So great. Oh. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's not really much to say about this delay. They went into an interview with the PlayStation blog talking about like, you know, the English uh, dubbing process and like kind of the procedures they'd had to make to accommodate, you know, the COVID pandemic situation. And whatnot, and try to you know make studio quality recording from, uh, from the English voices. You know, try to in some cases like, hey, can you just like record in your closet? You know, <laughs> it's uh, I get it. Have you have it. you did you play the Japanese release of this or no? I did not play the Japanese release ah. of this. I've heard I've heard a lot of. I was thinking about it. I was like, I'll just I'll wait for the English release on this. So I was so be, close to importing uh, it myself. Like yeah. so many people that. I trust their opinions on these sorts of games said that it was their game of the year last year. So it's like, Oh, cool, yeah, so it's interesting to see like, you know, where, where it stands here and why, why the praise and whatnot. Cause you know, it's a, the, a lot of, a lot of the pride that's got into this game. Like it is it receiving high accolades. I mean, whatnot. obviously the highest of accolades is the fact that Yoko Taro himself said that Japan needs uh, vanillaware. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, like I kind of hundred percent with Yokotaro. Like, you know what? Atlas can go, but don't, don't, don't you know, keep Vanillaware alive. I believe so. that uh, Sakurai um, actually said that um, 
like 13 Sentinels was his game the year as well. So that's like two yeah. like top tier recommendations. So obviously it's good. It's just like very curious to see uh, exactly how good. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, you know, I, I people will complain like, you know, oh, they're delaying it because of English voices. Ugh, ugh, I'd rather have it like the, uh, the, the previous two weeks. Uh, yeah, it's like a, because, because it was it was initially announced for September eighth, and then they said, "Oh, English voices will come later at day one patch." I think this is better because you know people want to experience this game. Though, like you know, they don't want to compromise. Oh, I have to like dodge two weeks of spoilers for people who got it like before me. You know, this evens the playing field. It's only two weeks. People can live. People who are still gonna get it are probably yeah. still gonna get it. You know, by the like, time you're halfway like, through October, will you really care that it released on the twenty second and not the eighth? Yeah, it's not like a two-week delay is going to be like, oh, oh no, there's a deal breaker. I can't. Mm. It's like, come on, come on. I, uh, I've seen some people like you know arguing, you know, people will complain about it, anything. So I think well, this I is. I do wonder that if I do wonder if it's going to be a day one patch for the. Is it a day one patch? Or is it yeah, on it is. The, day one it's, patch. it's a day one. Patch, oh, yeah. then yeah. there's a chance that when you're or whoever's reviewing it, Josh, that you won't have access to the English voices right away. I'll live. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but I say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Josh would really uh, factor in that. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's exciting. It'll be interesting yeah. to hear your your thoughts on it once it comes out. Yeah, I'm. We'll see. We'll see when when it does. Well, yeah, we'll see if those accolades are merited. Adam, I'm going to punt this one off to you because I could read what you wrote here, but you have a lot more affinity to the Suikoden series than I do, and there was some surprise announcement at the tail end of the week that. I think people have lots of reason to be really excited about. Okay, so the creator of the Suikoden series, who was the writer for the first two games, Suikoden 1 and Suikoden 2, which came out on the original PlayStation, has been teasing a few things this week. And he was kind of showing off like his early design like documents for the original Suikoden games. Now... I think anyone practical assumed that this was not going to be a Suikoden game because that's a Konami thing, and Konami doesn't like make games anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, they do, but not really. Um, but anyways, they, uh, he announced that a newly formed studio, Rabbit and Bear Studios in Japan, is kind of, in a way, getting the band back together uh, to create a new ode to classic JRPGs that is very clearly meant to be like a Suikoden spiritual successor, and it's called Ayudin Chronicles. I, I assume it's pronounced Ayudin. Ayudin? Ayudin, yeah, Ayudin. Ayudin Chronicles, uh, or Chronicle 100 Heroes. And this is a um, going to be a Kickstarter game. The Kickstarter will open on the Monday, like the July 27th. recording goes up, yeah, uh, July 27th. And they're looking to fund $500,000 um, for a PC release. And then there's also going to be a stretch goal for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and whatever the Nintendo Switch console is at the time, because they are planning for a 2022 release. And this is, it has the same, uh, let me pull up the uh, article here. It has the same uh, artist that did the original Suikoden, as well as Suikoden 4. Right. Uh, okay, so here, here's the... Here's the Junko Kawano. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to say outright that I am really interested in one of the composers is Michiko Naruke, who did the Wild Arms series, Wild Arms 1, 2, 3, and Alter Code F, mostly. 
Uh, I love her, her soundtrack. So the fact that I'm not only getting a Suikoden revival, but get to hear more of that music style is really exciting to me. Uh, Motoi Sakuraba, Moto Sakuraba from the Tales series mostly, uh, and a bunch of other things, is also doing composition. Uh, the director of the game is Osamu Komuta, who did Suikoden Tactics and Suikoden uh, Tear Christ. Suikoden Tear Christ, I think... Uh, do we uh, talk about that one? <laughs> no, it, it, I think it gets too much slack. I think it's a solid game. I think the fact that it is not tied to any other game in the series, people just hear that and like, oh, I don't like that. Well, more importantly, this, this person did Suikoden Tactics. Hell yeah. I'll stand tactics by is, Tactics. It's, it's okay. It's okay, but I'll stand the art, by it. The art director is also someone I'm not so familiar with. But, yeah, so uh, this is... Uh, James Junichi, is. Yeah, yeah, Junichi Murakami, and we just talked about it. With, uh, he was Castlevania Area of Sorrow on that one. So, so the thing about Suikoden... this podcast. Yeah, the thing about Suikoden that I think it does really well, especially the first two games, which is what uh, Murayama wrote, is that... It, the like from a from like a larger step back sort of viewpoint, it's a very political story, usually about warring factions and things like that um, at, at like a large scale um, uh, viewpoint. But the first two Suikoden games, especially too, I think also do a really good job at like highlighting the personal stories of the of the main cast of characters. The the the, the main trio in two, especially. I think it's it's extremely personal and extremely well done and one of the best written trios in any RPG I can think of. Mm-hmm. And I think he does a really good job sort of balancing like how these sorts of conflicts and wars um, affect people and the people who are involved in them. And this game seems to have a similar um, goal. He spoke, or the, the studio anyway, spoke with some various outlets like our friends at RP Gamer. Uh, Silicon Era, Gamatsu, about some of the what they're aiming to achieve with this game, and it has very similar tones in terms of uh, warfare, the people involved, and how it affects their lives, and and things like that. Um, Suikoden games mechanically also are well known for having like huge casts. They they have 108 uh, playable, not maybe not playable, but recruitable characters that join your army, and usually about like 50 of them or so are playable. So they have large casts of playable characters, then the other characters contribute in various like supporting ways. So one of the key elements of these games is that you're recruiting all these different characters, you're building your army, and you're building this sort of home-based fortress that you have and what your capabilities and things like that. And it's a really uh, it's kind of a really satisfying progression system, if you will, in terms of like uh, the things that you are gaining and growing as you're as you are playing through these games. Uh, Suikoden hasn't seen an entry, a mainline entry, since Suikoden 5, which released in 2006? Seven? Uh, six or seven, yeah, I would say. Uh, uh, which is, Suikoden 5 is also really good, although oh, uh, Mur- although Murayama didn't, uh, wasn't involved with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a long time, so the fact that we're getting a, a successor, even if spiritual, I think is really cool. Yeah, It looks, it, it has an Octopath kind of inspiration. And that's not just that's not just me saying that. They actually did say in one of the interviews they saw how Octopath looked and kind of reviving that sort of 2D sprite style game, which of course the original Suikoden games were, and sort of like, we can do that. Yeah, and there's so a, it's like they're doing that. IGN Japan released like a very brief few seconds gameplay teaser of this game, and they'll have a more like proper trailer of it when the campaign goes live on Kickstarter. 
it it like you know if they're, if they're aiming for that that looks really it looks really cool but is really interesting about this project too it's for it looks to be like a worldwide simultaneous release as well because when the assets came out there were assets in japanese and assets in english as very like front facing to an international audience so i actually did email the studio basically just to say hey keep us on the loop uh, for updates on this and you know they actually did communicate to us in english like hey thanks for the reach out uh, if, you, if you have any questions let us know sort of thing so this awesome. studio is very open to the worldwide audience they 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 are awesome. they know that this is something that a lot of people are looking forward to especially mm-hmm. if you're fans yeah. of these older rpg series so uh i am definitely going to contribute to the kickstarter uh, i'll probably just do a pc code you know not have to mess with weird shipping issues that kickstarter sometimes run into but uh this is definitely a game i want to try uh like i said uh getting a spiritual successor to suikoden is cool on its own getting one with michiko naruke helping on the composition is just oh. even better uh it's 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 like a dream so, project uh, for for us like you know old school jrpg especially suikoden fans like it's like the stars are like finally starting to align on this kind of thing it's also it's also cool that it's like the the communication pipeline is there even like to fans like asking over social media to murayama like uh, like several fans were asking like oh please have like the old school of suikoden style dialogue boxes where like portraits have their own like like place above the dialogue box so you can see their expressions and then like murayama like answered english or no, he answered japanese and he's like He's like, yeah, definitely. You know, I'll go. I'll go. Like, fight with the designer about it and whatnot. Like, you know, to make it happen. Someone asked, oh, please, like, you know, have like a old school JRPG like overworld. Like, we we're talking about. Like, I think Brian and I were talking about this either on this podcast or some other place. Like, we're we're talking about like the scope of an RPG world back then. How do you convey that? You know, like our memories come back to like oh, like actual overworlds in like two D sprite uh, JRPGs, like traveling around the world, going place to place. So someone was like, quite like, please let like this game uh, let it have it." It's like, it's like, yeah, that's like the direction that they we want to cater it towards, you know. And that's really cool. That's awesome. Like some people will say, "Well, that's not realistic. You're, you know, you're, you're artificially shrinking the world so you can make it small but big at the same time." Like, well, that's it's effective in its in its way. If you have a limited scope, you can't just make a seamless big ass world. I like, think abstraction is cool. Yeah, <laughs> so like. It, it, it's 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 representative and i think people can be smart enough to understand what the intent is and why it's designed that way and i have not played this week in game as not obvious from me punting this off to adam at the start of this but hearing you be so passionate about what little they've shown so far and the potential that's there is i'm vicariously excited yeah they, so. they have they have the stars are aligning for this and also i think the fact that the character artist is the same as the original i think helped a lot to really hammer home that like this is a revival it it wouldn't be the same if it was just some other art style it's like oh i guess you know it's supposed to be sweet but like if if, yeah if if it had like a team of people that were just trying to emulate what they know and like rather than legit having sweet in you know credited developers behind it this is like a really this is a really great like ripple effect example too of like even though like people will go one way or the other of like how Octobath uh like turned out, like seeing that visual style like leading to like a Suikoden successor, it's like, oh, we were inspired to like do this and like Octopath helped us, you know, find like a direction for for this dream project. You know, that's really cool to see like demonstrable like ripple effects throughout the industry of like, hey, look at this HD two D thing. It looks like I wish more like JRPGs were kind of were like this. Like we see they're now seeing that in action now 
I remember when Octopath first came out, people were like, what else would you like to see in this style? And people would say, like, Final Fantasy VI or, I don't know, maybe Tales of Fantasia. But like, how about Suikoden? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, so, okay, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure this Kickstarter will be very successful. I'm interested to see what the, like, you know, what, what sort of plans they have for this game. This is kind of funny, but I, I follow a lot of uh, English localization people on Twitter, and it feels like almost every single one of them is a Suikoden fan. And, like, they were just fans, you know, a decade ago when Suikoden was in vogue, and now it's like they're excited for the game and also like, please let me work on it sort of thing. <laughs> uh, it's it's exciting to see all the all the hype for it in a way. It, it's just one of those things you never really... It, it's not Suikoden by name. Uh, honestly, maybe that's a good thing to kind of distinguish itself a bit. Yeah, but it's it, you know it seems to be aiming for the same style of game, and it's just really cool to see all the excitement for it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really really excited for uh, to see this project pan out in a great way. Speaking of things that Josh is excited for, <laughs> <laughs> we're so good at this. I know you're 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 nailing it now. Uh, so uh, what? Can you tell me, Josh, about this Fate Extra 10-year anniversary project that Type Moon Studio announced this week? Oh, boy. Okay, so for the 10-year anniversary of Fate Extra, uh, which was a, a PSP RPG that released back in 2010, um, to celebrate that, they are basically making a remake of the first Fate Extra game. Uh, for Currently, right now, they're saying current-gen platforms. Uh, so we, we don't know exactly what that will entail. The 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 highest signifier that it'll come to like Steam it was through a live stream. Uh, but the host uh, hostess asked, you know, uh, what about Steam? You know, the the, the director uh, Kazuya was it what was it um what was his name? Ah, already, yeah, Kazuya Nino, who was the director of Giant Quest Builders One and Two, uh, a few months back left Square Enix for this new studio, uh, Type Moon Studio BB. And now we're seeing why he did. It's because he was returning back to one of the earlier projects he, he made, and that was Fate Extra. So he's making this remake. Um, he's kind of gearing up for Steam release and, and what other platforms. It looks really good. <laughs> like they showed off the first trailer of it, the first look. There, there's, a hint, there's some hinting that it might see an international release. But nothing's been confirmed because they just have the site have an English toggleable option. Who knows what else, you know? Uh, Maybe this and, is a bit of an aside, but I got to talk to mm-hmm. Nino at E3 about Dragon Quest, and he was mm-hmm. like, you know, even though there was a language barrier, he was like, happy is the way I would describe him. He was like really jovial and really excited to talk to just people about at that time, of course, Dragon Quest builders. And he was also the he's also the creator of Etrian Odyssey, if people aren't aware. Although he left after some of the sequels. Um, to to Square Enix, so he's got a pretty good resume. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's just a really he was a really great guy to speak with, even with without the language going barrier. into the uh, without going into the weeds of Fate Stay Night and all of its different adaptations. Where does the original Fate Extra land? Like, why is it significant? So, Fate Extra is one of those early PSP RPGs came out in 2010, and it's it it's popular among the community because it's me. It's written by the original writer of Fate Stay Night, uh, Kinoko Nasu. And so it's it's very, like, that's not like Nocturne, but it's very surreal in a sense, but in a, like a digital sense, because it's very, like, 
about AI uh, and whatnot. And it, it hits like those fan service uh, things of like, oh, there's Archer in there, there's Rin in there. But then you're introduced to this like new Red Saber who's uh, narrow and like she's gained like a big fan following over the years. And it it's it strikes them. It's I guess it's popular with that community because it's very, um, just it's it has that style of Nas. People really have a style like a like attachment to the Fate Stay Night writing style. Get get that in Spades and Fate Extra. Um, it's a, it's a very distinct style, and this this remake is like just on a whole other level visually. And they're re- because it's like. Actually, adding like a day-night cycle to like the the high school sections in it. It's in the dungeons that were just like basically like translucent like cubes in the original. Actually, have like environments now. So like, if you're like you're in this environment uh, against this like um, character that's a pirate, like the whole theme is not like uh, like set place like in an underwater like pirate uh, graveyard type deal. So I guess that's why people are really excited because not not only that like Fate Extra has really really good music and people are hoping that like they either retain that or like or remake it like in a very like faithful way in that so i guess people have different fondnesses and different reasons for liking fate extra personally i if i'm being real with you i don't think fate extra is a really great game i i i don't think it's even a good game like it to me it's like tolerable at best because as a video game that you play it's not great it's a it's battle system on the PS2 is like rock, paper, scissors. If you don't know the pattern of this uh like boss battle, you're just gonna lose every time. It was, Wasn't it was Fate Extra a PSP game, not a PS2 game? Yeah, PSP game. I did I say PS2? Sorry if I did. But that um happens. Yeah. Uh and So it seems like it's just without knowing it's a good, much of anything about the original visual novel or anything that spun off from it, it just seems like it's a really faithful and fun adaptation of a series that people are passionate about, even if the game yeah. itself wasn't yeah to its brass because tacks it's, great because it's very, because basically like oh there's a there's a, a thing in the fate stay series or in the fate series that like it's a turn-based battle uh, rpg you know at that that's kind of the why people uh, liked it essentially it's kind of a novel idea there some people really liked it i didn't really like it but you know with, with it getting like a visual upgrade and the new battle system like uh, the battle system is like a more like rng shuffle deck time of de- type of deal uh, of like putting out actions i don't know exactly the nitty-gritty of it um it seems to be you know they're putting in the work they've also said that um they want to remake the sequel fate extra ccc which never got a like an overseas release a localized release and that's that's kind of like for me like the holy grail of all this remake stuff in this fate so you're, because fate, you're gonna you're gonna evangelize this remake and be yes like, buy yeah. this so that i can get yeah, this, so i get ccc Obviously, uh, no. It's it's kind of weird because Fate Extra CCC is a really really great RPG on the PSP, but like it's one of those things that I would I would hesitate to recommend to people because it's like it's very meta in the Fate series and it's a very it's a very lewd game. It's not a, it's not a hentai game or anything, but it's very explicit with the way it it uh, depicts sexuality and like just certain characters in it. It's a very it's very much diving into like the psyche of a very uh sexually like not active but just how she composes herself very sexually character in that game and uh, diving the psyche and all that of this uh, specific character and whatnot but it's it's a very fascinating story uh dealing with like those themes uh and it's one of the most explicit ways that like 
you'll you'll convey those ideas in a in a in a video game without actually going uh, over the line to like a full on sex scene or whatnot, which kind of diminishes the whole thing, I guess. But you know, as sure. Long, as, long as, a, as, as long as a game wears it on its sleeve, yeah, I'm okay with it. It's more when it just shows up in a game where you're not really expecting it, or like yeah, it's like when you're playing like a regular JRPG, regular when you're playing like a, a traditional RPG, and and then the, all of a sudden there's a like a really lewd raunchy scene out of nowhere like it takes you out of the moment but if the game like wears mm-hmm. it on its sleeve and it's like this is what we are and we're this is this is what the game is like i think of the center and congruent games like obviously yeah. very like they know what they are and they're, they're fun and they, they they lean into it and that's good yeah they, they don't make any pretense about it they're like okay right. sure that the, the, you know uh it doesn't use it as, as a crutch it uses it as like it's like main like appeal that's right like, it's the you premise. there you go <laughs> Yeah, so that that's cool that they're remaking Fate Extra. It definitely needs it. It's it's one of those games that like you couldn't make a re-release of the of, of the game not only because of the original PSP game, not only because of like you know dated visuals, dated gameplay systems, or whatnot, but the original developer uh, Image E Poach or Image Image Poach. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, that's the dead company, and who knows where, uh, like you who knows like how you get that team back together. I, I guess they got the the rights back. For for the for the game or whatnot to make it the remake, at least so they were able to save that because that that was the biggest like roadblock about like making a new Fate Extra anything. That's why they went to like a new Fate Extella, which is kind of like the quasi sequel to these games, and they made Fate Extella, Fate Extella Link, but they still couldn't use the Fate Extra like That's likeness or trademark or whatnot. I don't know what actually happened behind the scenes for that, but so apparently they were not able to get a Fate it. fan, but. I find it amazing with my limited knowledge that Fate Extella itself is a sequel to Fate Extra CCC, which never got a localization, which is just unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's not the same topic, but hearing about like whether or not they can use the Suikoden name or whether or not they can use the Fate Extra name, and I think about like that My Hero Academia game that can't use the name of the series in their game. <laughs> yeah. They have to call it like My Hero One Justice. Like, it just seems like Man, naming rights are a bitch. <laughs> Apparently, I can just hear I can hear George C. He's like, "You fucking make fun of me for Kingdom Hearts, and then you're into fate shit." <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, George. I, I know. I'm just Kingdom Hearts defensive. It's okay. And then Kingdom Hearts, like, couldn't use Tarzan past the point because of rights. Oh, don't get me started. It's right, just... like that's not fair. Uh, that's at least uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. What about Nocturne? At least Nocturne can be called Nocturne in Europe. Oh yeah, no. they they they, they <laughs> dropped the, they dropped Lucifer's call. That's the biggest like that's the biggest casualty out of the HD remaster. That is just they can't call it. They're they're switching back to Nocturne because there are some Lucifer's call is arguably a better title. <laughs> kind of, but you know. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of it's. It was just an initial announcement for Fate Extra getting remade again. Looks looks nice, pretty cool. I it kind of deserves it, I guess. Like the last thing you'd be soft with was a TV anime adaptation by Shaft, like maybe two to three years ago. But it wasn't really suited for newcomers because the direction of it was just all over the place. It's like it meant more to people who already played it rather than you know weird shit, weird shit. And I guess, I guess this to, is like be able and to this is kind of this whole series and all of its different adaptations. Yeah, they, they kind of just like uh, wrap wrap this whole thing up. Like Fade uh, Type Moon Studio, uh, Studio BB is a very new 
newly formed studio, just like a, a seven-person team right now. Obviously, they're probably in collaboration with other like teams for to make these bigger projects, but they're trying. They're, they have like other projects that they're making on their own that the video we don't know yet. They still have, they still have other projects under wraps, but it's kind of crazy. Like kind of like they're already announcing this, and they they barely formed like barely half a year ago, and this the. The development on this game on Fade Extra Record started half a year ago. Ah, what are these people doing? This is crazy. It's amazing that with such a small team of what, and with such a short amount of time, they still showed us like actual in-game renders. Whereas the Xbox showcase, most of the games were just CD trailers, and and also like they and they showed off live gameplay in this in the stream that they had six hours later after that initial thing. It's like, oh yeah, we're yeah, here's some live gameplay. We're switching to the school, like the night, uh, the weather cycles. Oh, we're gonna go to the debug menu, uh, and we'll go here to this dungeon, and here's the the game in action. It's like, okay, cool. We know there's a real video game and what it looks like, and how it'll play. Wow, yeah, it's not it's not just a Kickstarter with like concept art or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, dude! And then you threw on something at the very end of the list. Yeah. Uh, about this mech RPG, which is very much like a Josh game. Tell <laughs> yeah. Me about, tell me about Dual Gear. So Dual Gear was uh, a project that was on Indiegogo back in 2016 that failed to meet its initial goal goal, but had flex that flexible funding option in. Um, Indiegogo, where I think it still takes your money and they'll still try to make something out of it. I don't know exactly. I haven't been really following the development of this game behind the scenes of like whether they were able to... They found a publisher, Corsell Technology. Uh, the developers are Orbital Speed Studio. And their whole pitch was like, hey, we want to make this tactic-style uh, mecha RPG, which is kind of almost front mission-ish, but without the grid lines. And it's more in the style of like XCOM and Valkyria Chronicles, where you know, you have a certain amount of actions that you that you do uh, on your phase and whatnot, but everything is rendered in 3D. It's not like an isometric view, like a strategy RPG type of deal. And uh, I just wanted to give the heads up that it's coming to uh, Steam Early Access very soon on July 29th. I don't know if I'm going to get into it yet because I'm iffy on Early Access games, but it's kind of cool to see, you know, just more mecha like RPGs uh, surfacing. I still need uh, to play... Um... Damon X Machina, Damon Cross Machina. Yeah, one of these days. One of these days, but it's 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 one of, it's one of those uh, just heads up. If you want to check what this uh, game is all about, search up Dual Gear on Steam and whatnot. I'll tell you everything about it. It seems to be very heavy on customization, on like your actual robot, on your tactics, and like it actually is very a lot of like minutia of like okay, these are the proper properties of the things that you're gonna attack. It looks crazy, but it looks awesome. I'm I'm down for it. Guys, we just spent two hours and 20 minutes just talking about new RPG stuff. Holy crap. It is a good time to be an RPG fan. We got stuff showing up like next month, like Horizon's PC version, and then we've got stuff probably coming out years and years away, like Fable. It's just crazy. Um, It was... This is one of those news weeks that's like, it feels like all your dreams are coming true. The thing is, though, is like as the week went on, it didn't feel like it at the time until I started like putting the list together. I'm like, Jesus, there's a lot. And that's when I was I mean, having just got, the list. I, yeah, it feels like you've gotten used to there not being much news each week. So you just didn't even notice when a 
the actually packed Newsweek kind of snuck up on us. Yeah, uh, this is just... the summer of gaming I was uh, I was waiting for. <laughs> Thanks, Keely. Yeah, what took so long? <laughs> no, but the thing is, though, is despite all of that, I still feel like this holiday season is kind of like a weird like void. Like we have yeah. some stuff coming out in like. Well, I guess we have Cyberpunk, but that's kind of like it. Anchoring. Cyberpunk, Assassin's Creed, um, Crash Bandicoot 4, Yakuza. Hottest RPG. Yeah, Yakuza. <laughs> um, maybe, it is all coming, maybe it is all coming together. I mean, if, you, like consider, if you consider 13 Sentinels like in that time period, then maybe that. This, this, is, no, this is not really a huge game, but it's kind of, I'm kind of surprised there hasn't been any update on it because it's supposedly coming out this year. Is Digimon Survive? It just oh yeah they announced it, it was yeah. coming in 2020 and i was expecting it at that bandai namco stream because play anime digimon's a licensed anime and like oh, okay this would be a perfect time to give an update for it and then nothing yeah so. but, i mean the, the, like <laughs> i remember last year at ax they announced that um that digimon story cyber sleuth like release on like pc and ps4 and switch and whatnot but i, I thought they were gonna give up some more news on digimon survive but then they gave us news on one Piece Treasure Cruise, the five. Oh, yeah, <laughs> cool. Thanks. And awesome. Naruto to Boruto, something yes. or another. Shinobi Striker that you can link your Twitch account and get it for free. Just, just give us a new Naruto game. Like, do Dragon Ball Z Kakarot for Naruto. That'd be the best thing in the world. Oh, I guess one thing yeah, I forgot to mention was uh, here's another thing that's, that's on the website from Monday or Tuesday. Uh, Indie RPG Star Renegades is coming out on September 8th. Right. And Adam put up a preview for it, having played through a demo of the game. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Just like I'll just minutes. say something really briefly since we're at the end of our, you know, rope here in terms of the length. But it's like a really it's a pretty tough roguelike sprite-based game that has a lot of kind of systems under the hood. It seems to be trying to do a lot. And it's one of those things where it's like this could end up being kind of this really cool, dense game, but it also could just be like really messy and no synergy at all. But it's hard to tell with just a demo, especially for a roguelike where I can't even like see how the key thing about roguelikes is how you progress from one run to the next. And I wasn't able to see that. It's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I'll probably play more of it and see what it's like. Try out some of these indie games. Yeah, and we had a small little tease because it's for an indie game, but we have a couple indie games coming out in the next week or so that we'll be covering. So stay tuned. I'll start uh, wrapping this up. We, you know, thanks for, th if you've made it all the way to the end, uh, congrats. No one has I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I have nothing for you. Just, I'd just be glad that you're here. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I made it. Me neither. Uh, so we're here every week, seemingly. On Saturdays, uh, you can f always find any episode of the TetraCast on Google Play if it still exists, iTunes, and also now Spotify, and also on our website. You can find us at RPGSite.net. You can find our Twitter page at RPGSite. We do have a couple new YouTube videos up of our casual mode little playthroughs of games we've been trying out over on YouTube, RPGSite.net. You can follow us on Facebook, RPGSite.net. And we also have the uh, Outer Worlds interview on the website, as well as details about all the news that we talked about as well as all the screenshots and media that was released for those in chronological order 
unlike this podcast. So give us a visit. And as always, you will likely hear from us next week. So until then, take care. Bye, everyone. They remembered SMT.